This is Giant Robot FM, your home of all things Mecca, be it giant or otherwise. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. Stephen Hero is back, for better or for worse, on the main feed. Hell yeah. My gums are restored to a degree, thanks to the miracle of oral surgery. Uh, I'm also happy to say it was not as painful as I expected. So, yes, excellent, Yeah, as I talk to myself. PMC, you are with me as per usual. PMC, thank you so much for um, taking over hosting responsibilities during my absence. Happy to do that. Happy to do so. And, uh, you know, it was it was a good time. I got to play with the format. I got to enjoy that and uh, see where things take us. PMC, I have, a, I have a funny story to kick off this podcast. Okay. Um, I've had some time to myself this afternoon, so I decided to clean my car. And as will come to no surprise to you, I have it's been a mess. My, the, my trunk has been filled with detritus dating back years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, old classroom supplies, a lot of thank you notes from old students. Um, so I was flipping through them, getting very nostalgic, which is appropriate for this podcast episode. And one of my students uh, wrote a very funny description of me, which I'll read. And you and the listeners and Emily can decide for yourselves whether you think it is accurate. So she first starts, I have to read, she, she recommends a book to me. And she goes, if you still want to read my recommendation, it's Ella Minnow P by Mark Dunn, which I have, which sidebar I haven't read yet, which reminds me a lot of you, quirky chock full of $10 words and just an incy wincy bit pretentious but in a good way do you think that fits I think that fits eh, yeah I think that's a I'll, I'll, I'll approve that I'll put the, the the seal of approval on it I also found this really wonderful picture a hand-drawn picture of Sen and Haku from Spirited Away that a student gifted me I'm super glad I cleaned my trunk out because it's now on my desk Ah. as I've talked about I show Spirited Away after the AP test for my students, it's always a student favorite. I showed Howl's Moving Castle before. Um, didn't go down quite as easy as Spirited Away. But we are not alone as I transition awkwardly to our guest. Giant Robot FM veteran Space Queen Emily is joining us today to talk about Gunbuster Episode 5. Emily, what's up? Oh, nothing much. <laughs> Just enjoying some Gunbuster with some pals. Hell yeah, hell yeah. Um, I'm super excited for this episode for a variety of reasons, because the last two episodes of Gunbuster Rule, uh, as much as I love the OVA, I think the final two episodes are the uh, indisputable like high points of the show. And Emily, I reached out a while ago uh, to like gauge your interest about guesting on a Gunbuster episode. And since it's like on your, pro- on your Twitter profile, excuse me, on your X profile, it says, <laughs> oh, oh no. I had to do the joke. I had to do the joke. I have to be timely. I have to be timely. Uh, on your Twitter profile, I think it says like on, right up top, like big Gunbuster fan. <laughs> yeah, the the, the pin post is like here are the series that are giving me brain worms, and and among them are uh, are Gunbuster. It's Gunbuster, First Gundam. What are the other two? Uh, Lupin the Third, and then the uh, title card for the first uh, Precure season. Hell yeah! Do you ever change them? Uh, I did. Uh, I I forget what I kicked off, but uh, Precure was the one I, I added. Was it Dirty Pair at one point, or am I imagining that? Mm, I don't. I'm not, I'm not sure if it was Dirty Pair. Maybe it was. Maybe it was Macross. I don't. I don't remember. Okay. 
Fair enough. It, it would have been a, had to have been a hard decision to kick off Macross, though, because God, I do love Macross. Yeah. And uh, to time this podcast even more, I'm really excited for it. Otakon this weekend for some sweet Macross-related news. This Otakon's going to be packed with oh, stuff. I know. I'm, so, I'm so glad Discotech's doing the virtual stream, though. And yeah, to me be too. honest, I'm, I'm super glad because it's a little longer, and I'm glad I don't. As much as I would love to be in the audience with my giant robot FM friends, it's nice to be able to sit on my couch and just chill with a nice Discotech stream. It's going to be on a Saturday, right? Yeah, I think midday, 12.45. Oh, okay. Cool. I'll assuming actually be able to catch it before I go to work then. Assuming that's when they upload the stream. I know that's when the panel is. Oticon really fucks things up because they always put Discotech, <laughs> the premier panel, in a small room and have to move the room. Just give them your fucking biggest room. It's going to be your most well-attended panel, guaranteed. They're like one of the biggest anime distribution labels that they that the scene has right now. Like, I, I don't know. Like, I, I wouldn't say, like I don't know, Media Blasters has a fandom to speak of whereas discotech i mean you know the linguini memes write themselves yeah i mean media, media blast is just gonna have like three porn announcements that's it <laughs> and no no shame to media blasters i am listening to the i just finished um halfway through guy gal gal guy gal gar excuse me and i was listening to the media blasters dub it uh it, it it's very fun it's a good one i kind of just wish it would they went the full 49 episodes or 48 episodes can't always have nice things i know it was historically their worst selling title ever too it was it was late too i think it's too like a real late pre-crash anime dub an anime license it's it's, i I was out of anime by the time this came hit store shelves i was not buying anime physical media then Mm -hmm. but emily to get to my point give me your gunbuster origin story so uh gunbuster Boy, um, there was a part of my of my early burgeoning robot fan uh, anime uh, life where basically I would just look up Super Robot Wars cast lists and be like, well, uh, if if they liked it enough to like do the dev work for it in the game, clearly mm-hmm. it must be worth someone's time. And I would be like, well, does this one look cool? Okay, I'll watch this one. <laughs> so I think I watched... Um, I, I knew Gunbuster had the, the, the pedigree. I knew it was a pretty well-beloved title. And uh, I watched the like the, the attack video on, on early YouTube for, I think it was a Super Robot Wars Alpha 3's version of Gunbuster. And I was basically immediately sold. Uh, the song slapped because they use um, Fly High. And I was immediately sold because there was like, that first kind of like pulse beat of Fly High just hits you right in the gut. And then, of course, hearing Noriko Hidaka scream like that had me super hype. I, I have to watch this. I gotta watch this. And so I did, and boy, did it blow me away. Hell yeah. How many years ago was that? Because um, PMC and I are recent converts to Gunbuster in the last three years or so. Hmm. Probably 2014, somewhere between probably 2013 and 2015, I would say, so... Okay, so you've had you've had a long time to sit with the show. Very much so. Now, for you, does the show improve as you age with multiple viewings? Yes, I have seen it uh, quite a good number of times, and I feel like there's always something new to come and learn and appreciate. Yeah, I feel like, especially with Gunbuster, uh, the older you get, you have the opportunity to reflect on the passage of time. Of course, it's going to be a little melancholic. I feel like, as a result, Gunbuster just ages better, even if you 
parts of Gunbuster might have rubbed you the wrong way, that kind of dissipates um, as you get older, I feel, with this particular show. And there just becomes, you know, a, a deluge of ways to view it. Because, you know, if you start really getting into it, then you learn, oh, you know, um, maybe you didn't watch the original version, so you haven't heard the one with the uh, Chariots of Fire knockoff song, so you're curious mm. and you check that out. Or, oh, I've only seen the um, the the modern, like, 5.1 uh, DVD redub sound mix, which has the alternate performances and alternate sound effects and stuff, so I should check out the original. And now it's, oh, I should see what that dub sounds like. Yeah, and there's a whole bunch of, like, supplemental content you could check out, like those mini-movies, um, the science lessons, which PMC and I have debated doing an episode to. I'm not sure if we're going to get around to it, but they are like fucking hysterical. I'm surprised because I'm very, I'm usually very wary of anime comedies because the humor generally doesn't land with me. This, I was laughing out loud at multiple points. Yeah. In my most recent rewatch, I had completely forgotten the bits where they were like, you know, we received a, a, a question from Hiroyuki Yamaga or whoever it was, oh, yeah. some, some one of the Gainax guys. And I was like, wow, that completely went over my head a couple of years ago, but now I get to laugh at it. Same. And it makes it richer as a result. I, I recently it, watched the last two that haven't been dubbed that weren't on the discotheque release. And I love oh, they're how pretty good. I think Noriko, I think it's Noriko, or if it's not Noriko, it's Amano, just goes out, just comes out and says, yeah, some of our, view- it's been a long time since we talked to you all, it's like 2012 at this point, uh, 30, almost 30 years after the original release, and she's like, yeah, some of our audience members might have died. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I'm really upset those weren't on the Blu-ray. Yeah, they're really cute. I really like the um, the subtle switch from the, the like Mac computer background to the very tablet app background. Oh, that is chef's kiss perfect. I love little details like that. Plus, you get to see a uh, little blobby science lesson Noriko with the longer hair and, you know, blobby Kazumi with the shorter hair. Yeah. All right, PMC. Before we jump into the episode proper, why don't you do us the honor of reading the back of the box summary for this episode? I believe the last time we read, did this bit, um, we did it with the U.S. renditions release. I could not find... Um, a high high enough res photo of the third VHS tape. I couldn't read the text. So we're going with the Manga Entertainment VHS re-release, which came out in the late 90s. Now, do you want me, do you want me to cover the Volume 3 general series dis- show description, or do you want to just go straight to the Episode 5 summary? Nah, hit the, no, I mean, yes, hit the show description. Okay, it's, all it's right. So, so this is Volume 3 of the Manga Entertainment VHS re-release. Gunbuster is the saga of an Earth invasion by monstrous space creatures. Noriko Takaya is a young girl struggling to be part of the Earth Space Force like her legendary father. Under the guidance of Coach Oda and big sister Kazumi Amino, Noriko must master the skills of mecha combat in order to challenge the alien threat. In Episode 5... Ten years have passed on Earth, and Noriko and Kazumi have graduated from the Space Academy. The alien forces are preparing a massive attack on Earth. Oda devises a revolutionary plan as Kazumi and Noriko once again fight for Earth's survival in the ultimate fighting machine, Gunbuster. I like how the text here resembles my notes because whoever did the copy can't decide how to spell Oda, which is prevalent in the <laughs> fandom. 
But it's funny that they make the mistake. There's the inconsistency just between these two paragraphs. For a while I went OTA, but my notes now have an H, because I've been reading the novelization, and Hydeon uh, decided to go with the OTA, so I've been sticking with that. I think I had the same thing with Pat Labor, which one I had to make the choice how to spell Odo. Oh, yeah. All right, so episode five. Please, there's time enough for love. The year is 2032. We open with establishing shots of the Imperial Space Navy School Okinawa Girls Space Pilot School, colloquially referred to as Oki Girls. Relatively unchanged since Noriko and Amano's departure all those years ago. After we got back from space, they held a special graduation for Miss Amano and me. It feels weird, like time is just passing us by. Which makes sense, I guess. I only attended this school for a few months. But in Earth time, 10 years have come and gone since I've been here. Reiko decided to stay. She's working as one of the instructors now. But the rest of my classmates have gone on without me. Even Kimiko. It's been so long, I'd be surprised if she even remembers me. All right, so I've, I've been very much in my head this, these last five hours because I've been rummaging through old thank you notes from graduated students, and I've been very much in a Stephen Hero nostalgia headspace. Um, I always feel this way. It's like I have a seasonal sickness. I always feel this way whenever May and June roll around. Like, graduation always makes me feel melancholic. Like, because I'm a teacher. Like, my body is attuned to the yearly ritual. Like, I'm never not wistful during these months. Uh, I'm always... Like as the weeks go up by and we go up, we're leading up to graduation. Mentally, I'm spending my off hours tallying how many ceremonies I've sat through, how many years it's been since I've graduated, how far into adulthood my former students are. There was a benchmark I used to use to tell myself, to reassure myself, not as much time has passed as I've thought or I, I've, that I've dread. Um, like when I first started teaching, the students I was teaching were in public school the same time I was. They're probably in elementary school. That that benchmark has come and gone, which like chilled me to my bones. And once I hit ten years post high school graduation, I started feeling a certain way. And then ten years after graduating from my undergrad, I started feeling a certain way. Um, but I have the privilege, I guess, with quotes around privilege, of experiencing this yearly because, of course, I experience graduation yearly. Um. And I feel like that's what's going on here, except for their graduation, it's much more melancholic for Noriko and Amino, because they're graduating in an empty auditorium. Like, it's just the two of them. None of their friends are around. They've all moved on. Hell, as Noriko said, some of them might be fucking dead. It always hits me how just empty that is. It, it It's sad. It really is. Em- like, empty it's, school- it's nice that they have the, the you know token gesture of here's your graduation ceremony but you know the fact that they couldn't i don't know like get some of their former teachers maybe or any of their like classmates who had some free time to just you know say hi or something sit in a chair for 45 minutes probably at most ah heartbreaking i guess the one good thing is that graduation ceremony would have been fucking short as someone who (laughs) dreads long ceremonies and long-winded speeches this must have been a breeze 40 minutes is generous emily I'm, i'm i'm guessing like 20 Maybe yeah. 10. <laughs> True. There is definitely a sense of like, who who are these people? 
what are what what are, <laughs> what are we doing here? And also, like, what is what does this graduation even mean? Like, I, I I mean, to be clear, I I do agree with Stephen that I do think this is effective at conveying the sense of you know the passage of time, and you know none of the other people that we remember, you know, all those opening scenes with you know being teased and. Uh, all the graffiti and the messing around and the girls in the locker room, all that. Oh, well, actually, that was from the Excelion. But the the episode one scenes, you know that that we that all that is kind of gone. Those people have all really truly moved on. Years years moved on. But it's also like a sense of like how attached were you to this place? I I think this is like a scene that's a really effective for the audience. But like a lot of things, I can't think about it for too long because yeah, like I agree. Why well, you were here like two months? I don't know. This place kind of sucked. Everyone wrote on your <laughs> shit. Like, what? <laughs> my friend, that is the high school experience. Yeah, high school sucked. Those those people keep sending me mail, and I, I <laughs> like, I okay. So I don't really have much fondness at all for school. So maybe this is a relatable position. My high school just sent me a piece of mail that this this guy who was a, a teacher of mine for like one semester. Who I think is shouldn't be a teacher, shouldn't be at the school, shouldn't have never have been the the principal or rector or whatever. That he's coming back to that position, and I'm like, dog, don't send me this mail because I'm gonna just tell you you're unqualified to do any of this and you were bad at everything you did. But like, <laughs> I'd also is don't he looking for donations. Uh, actually, it was honestly just kind of a rah rah thing. I don't even think he was. The, the, I went to a Catholic school, so the guy's a religious life, so he wasn't mm-hmm. soliciting money as much as he was like soliciting i don't know faith but i don't have any faith in him so good luck what an odd thing to get a piece of mail for the comeback (laughs) tour of your former principal yeah i he's a super weird guy and i don't like him but anyway the point here is that like you know noriko's experiences here like she has since had more positive experiences with kazumi and coach those relationships matter and they will matter throughout this episode the school though uh, I don't know. I, I totally you. know what you mean. Like it, because she says, you know, we we were only there for four months or something, and then you know, not, not to skip too far ahead, but uh, the stuff with Kimiko, uh, you know, saying, you know, oh, Noriko is my very best friend, and there's so much emotional weight, um, you know, between those two as friends. I mean, for all like, I I, I, I guess we don't really know how long they've known each other, but I mean, you could assume maybe that they've known each other for as long as they went to okinawa girls school they could just have met at okinawa girls school but there's so much weight to their relationship it doesn't make a whole lot of sense if you think about it too long but it works as a scene i mean it's got that kind of um i feel like that you know if you think back to like you know if you went to you know early high school you went to like a different high school than a lot of other people went to or you know like, like a catholic high school or something or for example you know if you want to you've had the experience of going to you live in a dorm at an undergraduate uh, institution and you kind of like do that performance of being like haha we're in the same freshman hall we're going to be best friends and not saying that you know Kimiko and Noriko weren't, weren't necessarily doing that but i think that is something that that people fall into when you're you're in a new place you try to get into the performance of things quickly as possible, which, you know, again, that doesn't diminish the relationship. That can be very important in that moment. I can't help here, but think uh, about the end point of phase arc in bebop. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to echo these comments in the next episode too. Um, if you need a quick recap, Faye cryogenically frozen after a gate disaster, 
uh, only to be revived decades later. If you don't know what a gate is, that's how they get around the solar system in Bebop. Um, and towards the end of the show, this there's a scene with Faye, who's 23 years old, reuniting with an old classmate who I assume's in her 80s. Uh, it absolutely breaks me. Even though they weren't close, not any stretch of the imagination, but it's a reminder of just how much time has passed. And when that hits you, it, it breaks you. I'm not even too much of a, of a bebop person. Uh, I mean, I like it. It's good, but it's not huge for me. But that episode, absolutely incredible. That episode, like Fine Wine, ages the older you get. I went, If you were to ask me what are my favorite episodes, or maybe better yet, if you were to ask me what my least favorite episodes of bebop were when I was in high school and like super bebop pilled, I would often say skip the Faye episodes. Getting older, though, those are the episodes that really stay with me. Getting older is realizing the plot episodes of Bebop are the least good. Yeah. <laughs> I think I was always on that that page, though, even when I was a youngin'. Really? Yeah. Even though I, every time, statistically, every time I turned on Adult Swim and it was 1 a.m., it would always be Jupiter Jazz Part 1, without a doubt. Yeah, For but some that reason, episode <laughs> fucks, dog. You, you th- I know. You I think know. I'm vicious? You know? God damn. I'm not saying it's a bad episode, but I always gravitate like to the Mushroom Samba, finding the old uh, Betamax tape, stuff like that. The workaday stuff. Mm-hmm. In the heat of the Okinawan summer, Noriko and Amino walk back from campus, diplomas in hand. Cicadas chorus as the two chat. It hasn't quite sunk in for you, Amino asks. By your birth certificate, you're 27 years old now. Noriko marvels at the revelation. On the way, the pair pass a mother and child. There's an instant spark of recognition. It's Kimiko, now a grown adult. I am, so I've been tallying the years these last several hours as I've been like just marinating in time. And I feel like this is a, so I'm almost 35, 34. I had to think for a second. That's I'm at that point in my life where I'm like, am I 35 yet? No. Defiantly, I say no. Um, but I feel like this is a rite of passage for 30-somethings. Running into a friend you haven't seen since high school who's out shopping with their kid. I'm a bit biased when I say this because I am living currently in the town I grew up in. Um, but like when you experience this, like, bam, like you are smacked over the head, hit with the full weight of time. Uh, I teach Gatsby in my English class, and there's a scene in Gatsby where the main character, Jay Gatsby, Leonardo DiCaprio for the uninformed. Uh, he's having lunch with Daisy Buchanan and Old Flame. This is very much an over- oversimplification, but he wants to rekindle that romance. Um, but during this lunch, he meets Pammy, Daisy's daughter, who's a physical reminder, living proof that you can't turn back the clock. And it really disturbs him, um, reminding him that nothing's like it was. He's expending all this time, effort, and money into metaphorically turning back the clock and resuming their relationship as if nothing has happened, but it's impossible. And for a variety of reasons, but Pammy is walking, talking proof of that. Um, Nothing will ever be like it was. And this scene um, just, I guess, reminds me of that universal um, experience of being human and growing older. I think you can definitely tell Gumbuster is like from a pre-social media world because I feel like social media has done a lot to sort of attenuate this effect because I think a lot of the people that I would that I would speak to in public if I ran into them, that I'm already aware of their children because of social media often, <laughs> uh, which definitely diminishes it. But Stephen, I must ask, have you yourself done this to someone? 
I was thinking about this earlier. It's funny that you asked um, <laughs> because because I am not on social media. I I've been like a relative hermit for the last ten years. Um, like right when I started getting um, like. Once I decided I want to be a teacher, I, I did some further schooling. I got into that lane, so to speak. I kind of that was about the same time where like friend groups, friends and former friend groups were moving. Um, the tectonic plates that kept us all together during high school and college were beginning to rupture, and just people were separating. As this happens to everyone in their mid twenties to late twenties, I think. And I basically fell off the radar for a lot of people. And I, I'm very much like not on social media. I'm tw- I'm fucking on twitter all the time but i'm not on facebook no one really knows i exist so if i have the potential to really rock someone's world if i happened upon them at wawa for instance with my two girls it would break them (laughs) there's a i I was having this experience not too long ago um pmc and i have a mutual friend um like he he had the hangout house um i'll just say he had the pot house where everyone would smoke pot at and I was, I was, it was May, this May, and I was in a mood, and I was driving back from work or somewhere, and I passed by his house, and he, to my knowledge, he, he moved upstate, and I'm pretty sure it was him, like shirtless, holding court by an inflatable pool, and I just immediately thought to myself, what, what year is it? It's the meme <laughs> with the dad, with the husband checking the calendar, and I was already in a mood because... I always associate with that house playing Persona 3 and just listening to the battle music. And it was right around the same time the Persona 3 remake was announced. So I was like very much in my head for the last, like for like the two days afterwards. I really want to stress that this house is basically like a New Jersey ghost story because in, in an area where most things are a part of suburban developments, you know, like planned, planned uh, infill development, this house is just on the side of a busy road, not a part of any development. So it already sticks out like a sore thumb and it's just constantly haunted. It is basically the Baker family house yeah. from Resident Evil 7. <laughs> for, but for New Jersey, yeah. For New Jersey. So it's not in the bayou. Right. It's just it's just across from a Wawa. <laughs> a different kind of swampy heat. <laughs> a different kind of swamp. That's probably where I was heading uh, back from. Actually, speaking of Wawa, I've been cooking up a meme because <laughs> Mawawa, it's Gunbuster related, don't worry. Jersey-based <laughs> podcast, folks. Let's go. Hey, Emily was on a Philadelphia-based podcast recently. Emily, you want to promote that real quick? Oh, yeah, sure. Um, I recently uh, got to take my friend Trevor through the first four episodes of the uh, Tenchimuyo Real Oki OVA on uh, No Cartridge, the podcast. And uh, that was a real fun time. <laughs> it's it's real fun um, being a complete sicko about a franchise and then getting a pair of fresh eyes on it and just getting to answer all the what, huh, what <laughs> kind of questions. I'm very excited to listen to that. Tenshi Muyo is very near and dear to my heart. Same with Tenshi Universe. I had a, speaking of rituals, um, every time we had a snow day in middle school and high school, I would watch the the snow episode, for lack of a better term, of Tenchi Universe, the episode where, you know, he's reflecting on his uh, departed mother, I think, um, always gets to me. Uh, great shows. Yeah, it was it was a fun time. We'll be uh, we'll be recording the uh, the second half where we cover the, the last bit of the <clears throat> initial run uh, next week. And it should be a fun time. Awesome. How, what is that? The, the the OVA, even though there are four OVAs, I always associate OVA one and two as like one thing. 
Yeah, I think that's how they ended up being packaged a lot too. Like the the ultimate collection DVD set I have, I think it's just labeled Tenshimuya Ryooki and it has all fourteen or so or however many there are episodes. Mm-hmm. But I think it's technically speaking, I think it's separated into five now. I think seasons. Oh, so. that's right. Who are the sickos buying Tenshimuyo Blu-rays at premium <laughs> price points in Japan? I mean, hats off. I know it gets really. It gets really weird and really incestuous in the later OVAs. That's that's Masaki Kajishima, baby. He, <laughs> that's that's his wheelhouse. I I, I bought the uh, the novel translations a while back. They put out the first three of the Shin Tenshi Muyo novels, and hell yeah, man! You ever just immediately be able to tell the writer's entire habit, <laughs> for lack of a better term. Yeah. Oh, good stuff. Good stuff. Maybe not good, but entertaining stuff. <laughs> All right, this is an important question I have for you now, Emily. Uh, if, if you answer it incorrectly, I'll jettison you from the call. Who is your favorite Tenchi character? Uh, my gut says Mihoshi, but my brain says Aika. All right, solid answers, solid answers. I'm trying to think who I would actually boot you from the call for. I mean, is there a bad answer, really? At least not in the, the the original stretch. I know there are some shitty characters later on. I I'm f- I have a, like a soft spot for the dad, especially. That's uh, pretty I don't, good. I, like I don't him. like Yoshi so much, especially now that I've got older. I thought he was a badass motherfucker um, when I was in high school with you know old man with the sword. Um, I'm fifty fifty on him. He, there, okay. there are times when I can enjoy him. Mm-hmm. I was a Washu stan. I guess still am uh, legally bound to uh, my girl. I, I even like uh, the, the Tokyo girl, the new one they invented for that one, Sakia or whatever. I even think she's fun. Oh, yeah. I know she's divisive, I guess, but I mm-hmm. like her. I have a note here, not about Tenshi, uh, but back to Gatsby, because I think the note really applies to Gunbuster as well. Uh, there's a literary critic, his name is Malcolm Cowley, and when he's talking about Fitzgerald writing Gatsby, he says that uh, Fitzgerald was haunted by by time as if he wrote in a room full of clocks and calendars um this this like this motif of time was very prevalent in early modernist works of literature like marcel proust in search of lost time james joyce's ulysses uh pmc is a big ulysses fan he could talk about it ad nauseum pmc you want to give a rebuttal i feel like you have to turn in your irish card for not liking ulysses (laughs) You know, I don't think I'm trying to if I actually tried to read Ulysses. I actually think it was it was Dubliners that I opened the front page and like looked at and said just closed it and said no thanks. <laughs> You'll do the same thing with Ulysses. A Dubliners is much more accessible. Um, but yeah, because the idea of time was really changing back then because you, um, com- you could communicate like when the Titanic sunk, you could that information was spread wirelessly through telegraphs and that information got around the world globally within the span of 24 hours 48 hours the people's notions of time was changing time was becoming more quantified for better or for worse um for the proletariat i would argue for worse because you have your time sheets your time cards you have electricity now so you can, hey you're not going home at 6 p.m just because it's dark you're going to work until 1 a.m um but yeah it, it was prevalent in novels of that time so anyway, getting back to my point, I feel like it applies to Gunbuster because Gunbuster always reminds you visually, thematically, in the, in the screenwriting, it reminds you of the passage of time. You got the cr- chronometers, mark, like still shots of marked up calendars. Uh, we f- see how technology changes over time, which really is apparent in the next episode. Like the show is constantly reminding you that time is passing. 
shout outs to uh, Kohei Tanaka delivering that little wistful uh, piano piece in between the uh, graduation ceremony and meeting Kimiko. I never really appreciated it until this watch through, but something about it just struck me as like, wow, this really hits all the right beats for the the emotion of the scene. Even totally. in his lesser pieces, he's still absolutely banging out the greatest. Yeah, it's the meme with the guy on the piano that's on fire on the beach. Tanaka's <laughs> always bringing his A-game. 100%. We mentioned this in our history episode, but it's worth pointing out again. Kimiko's daughter is named after Takami Akai, like one of the Gainax OGs who worked on Daikon 3. Uh, Emily, we last talked about Takami Akai uh, dressing as an old woman in Blue Blazes. <laughs> yes, very good stuff. Uh, I think on the episode I mentioned the same anecdote, but he's best known for the Princess Maker games and resigning during the production of Chronologon because of an inappropriate message board post he made. Famous, famous incidents. True, like I, a true legendary poster. Speaking of posting, I I haven't seen that make the rounds on Twitter in a while. I know I'll get a lot of traction if I post that, so I should. <laughs> it's such so, a yeah. good pull quote. I can't. Gainax was famous for having a bunch of sickos. He's just talking about, like, farting and breathing stuff in. It's not that bad, y'all. Especially when he's dealing with, like, toxic fans. I know part of it's probably just, like, weird literalist translation, but I really like that they that, that, that the commonly used version includes the word anus. You just it's, don't it, get that. It's funnier. Uh, I'm going to talk about The Simpsons a little later, but there, a Simpsons writer once said, and I'm remembering this, don't, I'm not quoting this verbatim, but uh, the word underpants is precisely 15% funnier than underwear. And I think the p- same applies with anus and butt or ass. Correct. Very much so. For all you would-be aspiring comedy writers out there listening to this podcast. Noriko and Kimiko catch up at a nearby park as Takami plays in the sand. I really have been left behind, Noriko says. And my best friend Kimiko is a mom now, on top of it all. As she processes all this change, Noriko looks to the horizon where she spots the outline of a massive spaceship, the Eltrium. It's supposed to be over 70 kilometers long, Kimiko points out. Kimiko points out. It's a veritable Noah's Ark. I, I, I wrote that, Stephen Hero. Uh, Kimiko did not say veritable Noah's Ark. Um, built to evacuate humanity to avert total genocide. However, only one in 4,000 civilians will be able to make it on board. Kimiko pleads with Noriko, asking her to use her connections to secure Takami a seat. She deserves a future. Doomsday ships have been a literary staple since, I don't know, the Bible? They crop up all the time in science fiction generally, but in a bunch of mecha stuff more specifically. Uh, I immediately thought of the Parnassus in Promare and then the Eldridge in Xenogears. Do you all have favorite, like, doomsday ships? I mean, I do want to. I do want to give a oh, shout ahead. out to the Art Gurn, uh, which, of course, is you know, I'm sure <laughs> on on everyone's mind, being so adjacent to this in in a variety of ways, uh, especially because like <laughs> the Art Gurn, like, is just one of those one of those things is a part of the legacy of my boy Roshu, and just deserves more shout outs than than it gets. Uh, you know, like everything Roshu does for the people in in Gorn Lagan. Well, we may. Re- <laughs> relitigate this debate in the future <laughs> I, I it's probably not my favorite but for, for whatever reason the one that sticks out the most to my mind maybe it's just the last one i directly encountered is um 
I'm sure it must have some name, but I don't remember it anymore. Xenoblade Chronicles X had the uh, had the ships carrying the rest of humanity or whatever, and then it it crash lands the Neo Los Angeles part onto the planet. I do not have time in my life to play that game, but I want to. You know, it's actually in the trunk of my car with all those thank you nights notes all a bunch of wii u games i do not have xenoblade chronicles x i've been told that i i would really enjoy that game it's weird it's a weird game i don't know i don't know if i call it good but it's interesting all right i got bad news the names of the ships in xenoblade chronicles x they were just called arcs well that makes sense (laughs) come on come on takashi you gave us the eldridge in xenogears didn't, didn't they the just way, call the, the ship in Sonic Adventure 2 the Ark also? You're asking the wrong... I think you're asking the wrong people, because I know I'm not a Sonic fan. PMC? I, I'm i not I'm not a modern Sonic fan. Um, I So this is the first time I want to... So there's a website that I usually dunk on during this kind of discussion, uh, which is uh, tvtropes.org, a miserable <laughs> website, that usually I'll be like, this must be a trope, and I can find a handy list of them on this website. And usually it actually doesn't work because the site is bad and everyone who uses it has miserable brainworms. This time, thank God, the concept is simple enough that they could grasp it on the site, and actually, uh, it is useful. I gotta say, scrolling through this, the most surprising uh, example, I, I don't know anything about the lore behind Splatoon, but the fact that there are multiple entries about Splatoon is deeply concerning to me. I don't know yeah, why the deep lore in Splatoon goes some wild places. <laughs> I I've only played the third game, but uh, as I understand it, uh, it is a crazy time. Why do the That's squids like- and the kids need arcs? You know what? Don't tell me. <laughs> There's a lot of apocalyptic imagery in the third game, in particular, because I remember when it was announced, I made a tweet with the like the rubble of Paris in that game, and then I had Giant Robo, of course, then the, the fourth Ava film. I'm glad that game has cursed lore, though. I approve. Yeah, no, I always like it when a game has weird cursed lore in the background. It's always always excellent. It's fun because you do kind of have to work for it, uh, so it it rewards you with some just premium what the fuck kind of writing. I'm probably the worst person to have on your team in a team based shooter. Definitely, one hundred percent. I mean, you're better than whoever is making Gundam Evolution. Oh! Speaking of timeliness, sorry. <laughs> Did y'all ever play Gundam Evolution? I have not. <laughs> I probably played mm, ten hours, let's say. Okay. Uh, enough to try it with a couple of friends, and none of us particularly had a good time with it. So it doesn't surprise <laughs> me that's going down. Some of its flavor was okay, but um. I think I saw someone talk about how it didn't feel like a Gundam game or a robot game or have sufficient trappings enough to entice those who would want to come to it for those things. And that was a pretty good description of yeah, it, I felt. That feels That's pretty, pretty damning. damning. Yeah. Yep. Buy me a Coke. I, got, I had such a poor relationship with the original Overwatch that at one point I uninstalled Overwatch and then uninstalled Battle.net for my computer. And so the idea of playing a hero-based shooter ever again was just not in my future. You played a lot of it, though, PMC. Not I did play a lot of it, yeah. When, I, when that beta first dropped, I did play a fair bit of it. Um, but, you know, at some point, at some point, you know, it's it's the thing that always happens when you have tons of interactions between, uh, you know, a lot of individual heroes 
where if you don't keep up on how the meta evolves or how the interactions work out, you know, it just becomes a series of like slipping on bananas and, and sitting on whoopee cushions and you just, you know, either you commit to the bit and like play the game like it's a job or, you know, you just, you just peace out. Um, and so, you know, I chose, I chose to peace out because I'd, I'd rather dig up weird games that no one cares about and see if I can speed run them. I would rather end it all than have to deal with Genji's three second win button cooldown. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. I was an Overwatch sicko for a while. I understand. I don't know what either of you are talking about, but I approve. <laughs> this Doomed is Day ship bit also reminds me of a Treehouse of Horror Simpsons episode, the one with the Y2K segment, uh, when the world's, I think Homer causes it, if memory serves me, uh, that the world's going to blow up, and Homer and his family are trying to escape on one of the last spaceships out. Um, it has this all-time great gag, I feel like, Conan O'Brien to like Andy Richter here, but I think PMC, I think we have some audio of this. And your name is? Actually, he's Homer Simpson. That's Bart. I'm Lisa. Lisa Simpson? Oh, you're the ship's proofreader. Welcome aboard. Now, before you enter, you're going to have to make a very difficult choice. You're only allowed to take one parent with you. Mom. Our podcasting journey is just me subjecting PMC to dank-ass Simpsons memes. Steven, your command of Simpsons references astounds me because I think I also watched Simpsons when I was a child, like back in the so-called good years. And I probably watched this episode. It sounds vaguely familiar, but I can't recall that shit. That was like 20 years ago. This is post the, the okay the when the Simpsons jumped the shark or if the Simpsons jumped the shark is a, a point of contention if. obviously maybe not if is a point of contention okay. well people say it's <laughs> it's good now people are like angry to hear people shit it on it it comes in waves yeah <laughs> but I don't want to do any gatekeeping here but um, this was like a season ten or season eleven episode. The reason why I have such a encyclopedic knowledge of The Simpsons is because I watched a lot of it, obviously, growing up. But when, during the DVD boom of the early aughts, I had all the DVDs and would just watch the commentaries constantly, um, which really set me on a path to host a podcast one day, because I feel like those are just podcasts before podcasts were a thing. I feel like that is a specific type of disease that's pretty common, is getting way into the Simpsons DVD collection commentaries. <laughs> yeah, and then being mad because the season six DVD is Homer's fucking face, and it doesn't yeah. match on your bookshelf with the rest of them. Famously. Gotta send in the, the, the call-in card to get the correct case that is now no longer uh, functional. So I can't believe people on a line accuse us of being old when they listen <laughs> to this. How could, how could you not? See, this, I will say this still doesn't be the, like the the DVD era shit that most caused my skeleton to leave my body is I have an acquaintance in uh, speedrunning who apparently has these like 400 disc DVD player monstrosities or something that I never heard what? about before he told me about them. Uh-huh. That he just has like his entire collection in at all times. And a machine? Yeah, it's like a huge... I'm So you're not familiar with this, Steven. This, uh, uh, Emily, you'll appreciate this. This sounds like Zondertech uh, for all my Galgagar fans out there. <laughs> I, I know like this technology for, uh, for like CD players, the multi-disc, like disc swapping CD players, but I've never heard of it for a DVD. Yeah, no, it is, it is, it is real. It has, um, I mean, like if you just search, you know, 400 disc DVD, it's like, these things are real. They sold those. Wow. Whoa. 
It's just like a big, like a big drum. It's like a drum magazine. You could put it into the bottom of your assault shotgun or something. It would fire DVDs. Is this the end of Oppenheimer? Yeah. Is this yes. why he's a war criminal? I am. I, I am become player of player. I'm become DVD player of discs. I don't know. <laughs> Death scratcher of discs. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. I I was I look uh, y'all know me I was busy being a pirate in the mid two thousands so I wasn't in any I was moving around the country I I got time to shuttle physical media around says the person who just bought Steel Battalion look I left the store with fewer games than I arrived fair <laughs> but more controllers unless you sold some controllers I sold two PSPs. Oh, I, I went through the list. I was like, I bet those are PMCs. Oh, yeah, 100%. PSPs. I was like, I could buy your copy of Lost Sphere for a... Str- it was priced strange. 38 like 30 bucks or something. It was like a it very was, it was specific like price. 38.75. I was like, wow, yeah. where the fuck did that number come know. from for Lost Sphere? <laughs> Just put it as $35. The store owner said he also bought a copy of that. I don't know if he sold his, but... <laughs> you could have... Was the copy of Magic Knight Ray Earth tempting for a second PMC? No. Not even a second. I have I have an optical drive emulator in my Saturn. No, thank you. How much did you say that was? Nine hundred and ninety nine dollars. Yeah. They're asking for. Yes. That's insane. Although you there was vi- there was a two thousand dollar copy of Greece in there. As well. <laughs> so I don't know what that's about. Apparently, there's like a watercolor in there that's signed. I guess that makes it valuable. Mm. I'm so decent. Not that I'm buying a lot of old games. I'm doing more selling than buying. But I'm so desensitized when I see these price tags now. I'm, I think to myself, oh, one fifty for a game. That is incredibly reasonable. That's how uh, fucked up my mind is. I'm not, dear listener, not. I'm not actually spending this money unless I I trade in a bunch of games. And then I'm like, yes, I will buy this copy of Haunting Ground for two hundred bucks. Yeah. I, I I have a copy of Haunting Ground which I bought before the retro explosion for eighty dollars, maybe five years ago from that same store. If I, I sold be, it today. I'd pro- it would probably sell for like five hundred now. I want to be clear for podcast listeners. I bought a steel battalion, a copy of Steel Battalion from a retro game store only after trading in $350 worth of stuff that I was never going to touch again. I feel like I, I have not seen Oppenheimer, dear listener, but I feel like we're at the end of Oppenheimer. I'm Robert Downey Jr. and PMC is Killian Murphy, despite the fact that he doesn't like James Joyce and he's on trial for war crimes. <laughs> I'm not putting up PMC on blast here. That's fair. I don't know how that movie ends. I just know it through memes and a general knowledge of U.S. history. All right, so back to back to fucking Gunbuster, and trust me, we will move on the plot. But I have one more point here. Um, I know it's a mecha staple, transforming robots and all that, but it's worth pointing out how effectively Gynax plays with scale. This bit with the ex- uh, this bit with the Eltrium calls back to the introduction of the Excelion, which was under construction in Episode Two, and now. We as viewers have a much bigger ship. Uh, not only does it signal how dire the stakes are, but it's another reminder of the passage of time because technology keeps evolving. All mech shows worth their weight and salt play with scale. Uh, I feel like Gynax is particularly good with it. Like I feel like they would double down on scale with Gurren Lagann. They, they basically turn scale into a thematic concern in that show, Um which is very fun to watch. I feel like they nailed scale, like maybe even perfected scale in Gurren Lagann. I mean, I would expect nothing less from Otto given his uh, his tokusatsu origins. Emily, I just watched Shin Ultraman. Very much a fan of it. 
All good, good. Uh, I'm glad, though, the internet was quick to decry the shitty subs on the Blu-ray because I uh, pulled a PMC and went to the high seas. I hear they they did a replacement disc, and the replacement disc is also not good, so (laughs) rip. (laughs) I feel like you only have one shot at that. I mean, I think we all kind of saw the writing on the walls when it got picked up, and everyone's like, I have never heard of this video label in my entire life. Yeah, I had the same thought. (laughs) Who the fuck is Cleopatra? (laughs) And now with um, uh, Shin Kamen Rider uh, being on Amazon Video, like now basically nothing that gets on Amazon Prime Video ever gets a home video release, so... We are potentially three for three in uh, subpar Shin Hideaki Anno video releases. I know. I I am going down a Godzilla rabbit hole, and I love Shin Godzilla, and I'm, I guess, as fond as I could be of my copy of Shin Godzilla that I got for $3 on Amazon on Blu-ray, but I really want the subtitles and the title cards as they are meant. It's 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 a director's staple. It's part of the visual language of the film. I just do not understand that decision. It puts butts in seats. I am cheering when I get white text, huge fucking white text on a, on a black screen, or black text on a red screen. And we'll be seeing Hano go sicko mode for that later in this episode. Very true. <laughs> Once we start getting into which subway we're on, which subway car oh, we're I, on, oh, which I line they are writing... <laughs> Put him, you know, I would take, I would like an Oshi film version of it, like an Oshi take on an Ano film where it's just montages of establishing shots with huge title cards. That would make like a fun little like anthology series is get a bunch of these directors who are fans of each other's work mm. and then tell them make an episode of a thing in this guy's style. That would be very fun. Speaking of other people's styles. From the comfort of her apartment, cluttered with unpacked boxes and hanging laundry, Noriko calls Kimiko. Takami answers and tells her auntie that she's out with her father. Can you tell your mom that Noriko says she's sorry? Noriko asks before ending the call. Yo, a three-year-old right. answered the phone. What's up with that? <laughs> Never mind. Don't think, uh, don't think about it. Don't worry. This, the shit toddlers get into PMC. <laughs> I, there, there's, a, there's a Netflix show, as I understand, that's very popular. If we had a landline, I need a fake-ass name for Toddler Hero. I'll come up, come up with it eventually, but she would answer the phone. She did, oh, she did the cutest thing. I don't want to be a dad on a oh, podcast, okay. but I, 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 it's a mecha-related anecdote. Uh, I was watching Gal Gygar, which she gets increasingly frustrated with. She doesn't want to watch it, but I'm like, <laughs> it's my job, <laughs> even though we're not covering it. Um, but she likes the opening, and rightly so. And yeah. The opening started playing, and she held out her arms and went, dance, daddy? And I was like, my heart melted a bit. Um, Let's go! We did a little dance. That's pretty good. Yeah. She Last time we were doing Moon Race Wireless, she liked Tournay a lot. She liked the vibes. I think the music and the imagery struck her, or she'd be like, yes, I want to watch this. She didn't would not tolerate G-Witch, so I'm curious if she'll enjoy Tournay Gundam. Training her on Yoko Kano early. Exactly. I'll put I'll put brain power on see how that goes down. <laughs> All right. So, uh, speaking of Tomino, I guess not speaking of Tomino, but speaking of anime auteurs in the '80s, um, it's 2023. Um, but Noriko's room is a time capsule of '80s fandom. She has a Totoro, 
Nausicaa, and Yamato poster, or I guess posters, respectively, on her walls. Obviously, the the it's this is a nod to Anno's work on Nausicaa and his relationship with Miyazaki. He did, though, for the record, he didn't work on Totoro. I'm surprised uh, there's not a Grave of the Fireflies poster. Maybe his working relationship with Takahata wasn't as strong. Which I based do on- believe, uh, not to cut you off, but I do believe in the episode six in Noriko's room, she does have a double feature, um, Grave of the Fireflies. Um, oh. Uh, the, the, what's the, I forget what the other one is now that has a double feature. Was it Totoro that it had a double feature with? Yeah, the first Barbenheimer. Yeah, basically. Yeah, I think in that one she has a, a double feature poster. Oh, good. Okay, good. He did leave Grave of the Fireflies to work on Gunbuster um, because he spent like two months animating a battleship which barely features in the film. He's like, this isn't for me. Classic Zivano right there. Yeah. Um, so obviously there's there's a clear superficial read of these posters, but more, more generally though, if we're not to f- hone in on the individual references, these allusions do highlight Noriko's interests and I think solidify her otaku credentials. I think that's kind of the point. This archetype was so prevalent in 80s anime. Like the otaku diehard turned mecha pilot. See Pat Labor's Noah. I can't help draw a comparison between the two of them. It is interesting you get these little snippets of um, Noriko as a character outside of the, the robot piloting. Because it's one thing, you know, in the science lesson for her to be like, oh, I'm a huge nerd, I love tokusatsu, I'm the greatest otaku alive, but you don't really see a lot of that uh, reflected mm-hmm. in the show itself. You could just as easily say, you know, she's doing this for a bit in the in the silly videos for the for the hardcore otaku fans at home. But seeing this here makes you realize, oh, she really is a nerd. Okay, that's cute. I want, like, one deep cut, though. These are all obvious pulls. I want something like a super sicko poster on the wall. Yeah, she needs, like, a... a Grazer X or something in there. <laughs> Some weird shit. Some really grody 80s OVA. Like Noriko, super fan of Magna Robo Gakin. <laughs> it's funny to put this this kind of thing, because I do think it's true. I, I think it's accurate, and you know, it shows up wherever we get the chance to, to look into that part of her. But it's funny to put that like right next to her admiration for and relationship with her, her father, who's like sort of like actually living that life you know it's like a, a very different vibe to be like yes you love yamato also your dad's on a spaceship way out in space yeah that's a good point actually i i watched the lower decks uh strange new worlds crossover it's probably the, the best hour i've had watching something all year but it plays with references in a similar manner and posters on wall in a very similar manner I do like this uh, optimistic view of the future where the uh, media preservation seems to be pretty on point that Noriko can be fans of all these obscure 1980s uh, robot shows. That's another good point. Yeah, but it's also what well, was like a how did it how did her place get preserved? You know, like that's another point here. I mean, again, this is this is don't think too much about it again, but it, it is like and for me the the thought came that given the desperation of things right there's a certain desperation to kimiko being like hey there's an arc ship can you get my daughter on it like that's like a real you know sacrifice myself for my kid that's that's where kimiko is that's the that's the she came to that she settled into that she's not you know crying sobbing when she brings that up to to noriko she's like hey 
I got this thing. Can you help me? She's probably already been at this, you know, this, this decision for a while that if the opportunity arose that she would try to do that. And so to like have a world where a member of the general population, maybe that's not right for Kimiko, maybe being in the, the girls pilot high school places her in a different, you know, tier of person, maybe not, but to have someone like that in that state, I think says a lot also about the general state of the world, that there's a arc ship visible from the surface of the planet. And to have like an apartment just sort of sitting around being preserved for 10 years, like it makes you wonder, because uh, you know, there there's other science fiction where when, when events of this kind of magnitude happen or are happening, you have, you know, massive upheaval, civil war, suicide, you know, things like, uh, like really, really big events i'm thinking of like you know uh childhood's end which i'm pretty sure would have been on the minds of of all these goobers at this time (laughs) um so it's definitely interesting to see like again i don't know if they were necessarily thinking of that with this so much of combustor is just sort of a fun pastiche of things but it's where it's putting me to see this like oh housing isn't valuable like what's going on what is it like that this place can just sit here we have been um gently criticized on Twitter for taking Gunbuster too seriously with our <laughs> info memes. I'm not talking about the recent one either. Uh, I'm talking like a Japanese fan who I think worked on turn a mentioned, Oh, these, these Westerners really take Gunbuster seriously. Do they not know it's a parody? Um, they didn't mean it maliciously. They're yeah, just yeah. pointing out, um, that fact. And to be fair, we pointed that out numerous times in the history episode. I do feel like, though, and the creatives point this out a lot, the whole show's a parody, but it can exist on its own. There's a difference between watching Gunbuster compared to Abinobashi, for example, which kind of lives and dies on its references and its parodies of other things. Um, so it's fun to play in that space. But I do think Gunbuster eventually evolves into something a little bit different than your bog-standard parody by episode three yeah and it's also what happens when you have a work that has uh drafts which kind of diverge you know because certainly we covered in the history episode that it began more as pure parody and you know i want to say it lost all that it's still there for sure uh but you know things were injected things were changed around um and and then also you know uh what does the work mean to someone who doesn't have access to all those things that it's parodying Good yeah, um, I was just showing Gunbuster to uh, a group of my friends, and um, one of them just has absolutely no idea what Aim for the Ace is, just no access to that kind of knowledge or material or idea, and just, it, it's a work that has to stand on its own without that, and uh, I, she seemed to be enjoying it just fine without that knowledge, so. Yeah, as, as much as we're having fun digging up the references and appreciating it in light of, you know, what it is intentionally referencing... You know, some you know you can also do analysis and interpretation without worrying about that. You can view things under multiple lenses. Mm-hmm. Speaking of references, also the fucking Van Halen calendar which kills <laughs> yes. me. Optimistic that there would be a 2021 Van Halen ca- calendar. I wonder That's if anyone tried point. to go find a Van Halen 2021 calendar. It, w- it would be out there somewhere. That's a good question. That's- <laughs> here right now, furiously trying to find a Van Halen 2021 calendar for like whatever screen accurate gun well, buster yeah. prop. You, you activated my meme making brain. <laughs> I work on a seven day cycle, so I try to get one meme per episode that we're covering on the feed each day, and I don't think I have the full seven done. So 
Maybe I'll see if I can whip something right. up. I mean, look, the old calendars aren't expensive. No one usually, you know, wants those things. True. I worked at a calendar store. I can attest to that. Cut to the Palomar Observatory, where a Space Force intelligence operative gets word from a surveillance satellite that a swarm of space monsters is massing in the far reaches of the solar system. There's so many of them that they're blotting out our view of space, he says. Later that morning, in response, the bureaucratic wheels start to turn. Meetings are held. Big wigs in suits begin to plan a response. F- this fucking, this montage is so on The on-screen text, diplomats in boardrooms. go crazy. Talking, yeah, totally. You get still frames of bureaucratic minutia, half-filled cup of tea, scattered paperwork, the fucking ashtray of spent cigarettes. Like, this stuff rules. <laughs> Um, it rules on an aesthetic level, level, but it also lends this scene such a world historical weight. It gives this almost a documentarian quality. I like how they also just, once they start going crazy, introducing the titles of people. I mean, these they, they literally don't have names. It's just, you know, chief of staff or, or you know, munitions expert or whatever. And to their credit, Discotech did a good job with the subtitles. Oh, you know what I want to shout out? Just because uh, we we didn't touch on it. it's not a big thing, but the once again, you know, well, not only the subtitles, but like positioning the subtitles in places. The chalkboard from the school is the best part of the school. Uh, shout out to Mister Crab. <laughs> I want to meet him. He should have been at graduation. Yeah, anytime there's like a shot of like you know uh, uh, down a hallway and there's like a door at an angle and the door is labeled and the subtitles are correctly angled, it's like oh man, they 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 bothered with this. They bothered the positioning. That's that's you don't expect that from a non fan sub thing. You, that's you, the good stuff. It's it's hard to fuck with that kind of thing on actual like you know commercial players, especially when it's color coded. That's just ooh, chef's kiss. Ah, delicious. Uh, also, you know, while we're here, eternal fan of Discotech continuing to uh, put yellow subtitles on all the retro anime they put out. Thank God. Speaking of Discotech, yet again, I'm gonna I'm gonna call my shot here. I think Die Buster on Blu-ray is going to be announced on Saturday. They're I running out of It wouldn't surprise me, honestly. Yeah, we got Cutie Honey in the pipeline, but that's coming out soon. So I got that what? baby pre-ordered. Hype for Hell that. Yeah, I'm picking that up too. Must watch media right there. Extremely good. But after that, nothing. Nothing Gynax related. So I have a feeling, and of course they did the DVD way back when, so I imagine, and there is a Die Buster Blu-ray in Japan, so makes sense that that might be next. They could dig deep and they could put uh, the actual live action on a Cutie Honey movie, maybe. I, would, I wouldn't mind seeing that. Uh, I think that has a Blu-ray release in Japan. I wouldn't mind paying for that again. I would also pick that up. I'm curious because I hear Shin Kamen Rider is very much like Cutie Honey live action part two. Yes. I I definitely got a lot of the uh, structural uh, associations with that because I had watched it a few days before I saw the theatrical release. Oh, neat. Um, So yeah, I'm looking forward to that, hopefully. In other news, a broadcaster announces, the anti-space monster force formed 11 years ago the top squadron has officially announced that it is disbanding. Noriko half listens as she lays in bed. She gets a call informing her that Ota wants to see her. Back on campus, Amano lays into Ota. 
You make everything about you. You never think about me, she accuses. The heavy rain from outside drowns out that argument as Noriko arrives at the staff office. When Noriko gets to Ota's office, she witnesses him striking Amino. Crying, Amino storms out of the room. This is the one scene, like there's always one scene, am I right, that I have trouble returning to. A few things. I don't need a sanitized version of Ota. I really don't. And not that I'm justifying his behavior. And for the record, I don't think that's what a critic should or needs to do, justifying the actions of a character. Like, let the work speak for itself. Let the creator make choices. Oda has had a lot of violence done onto him. It tracks that he would do violence against others. It's the language he speaks. That doesn't bother me. What bothers me here is Amino's lack of interiority and the emotional payoff of the Amino-Coach reunion. Like, we never learn why Amino is so drawn to Ota, other than, I guess, his classic masculinity, his traditional, like, heightened masculinity. And we never see her grapple with the contradiction of wanting to be with someone who physically assaulted her. Which I think makes the reveal at the end of the episode that Coach didn't die ring a little hollow for me. I think Caitlin Moore, who we're actually going to have on next week's episode, said it well in her A&N review where she points out that some relationships in Gunbuster are poorly fleshed out. Uh, some of the dynamics are abusive by today's standards. I, I, I feel like this is more an issue for me because the framing of the reunion at the end and just we never see Amino grapple with these issues. I, sh- I should say the novelization, which I'm currently reading, gives us a little bit more, but it's not really that satisfying for me. It's not. This isn't egregious, um, but it it's one scene that I kind of runs counter. Like there's friction between me and the show at this point. I, I wish I could um, speak to like if it's a bit more uh, of the aim for the ace influence sticking in, mm. but uh, I think that's in material that's in the upcoming. Uh, I forget what they're calling it, but like the next uh, set, Discotech's putting out of aim for the ace. Mm-hmm. Um, so it may be some of that leaking in. I mean, it may be some of like the. I mean, I, I don't want to say, oh, it's a slap, so it's a Tomino reference, but you know, because Ano does respect Tomino, you know, it, it could be some of that. Uh, slap equals immediate dramatic weight effect just coming in you're not supposed to think about it any more than that just the stakes are high at this point and emotions are running high mm-hmm. yeah that, that is like <laughs> i'd be curious to see if there's like a way to really uh you know I, I capture the idea of what what this would have been intended to mean you know at the time in terms of that sort of that sort of slap because we've already had slaps in this show okazumi and uh, young at least uh, and certainly you know we just mentioned the Gundam ones which of course I mean there's several not just Amuro Bray I mean Slugger Law is in there too um, so Ryu like beats the shit out of Amuro yeah so uh, there, there's a case of um, I think it's one of the last if not the last episode of Double Zeta where the original script treatment before Tomino and after Tomino includes a slap that Tomino added so he, it's important <sighs> to him to have slapping I Emily, guess. do you do you know what I just watched like two days ago? I watched the episode of Victory where Oliver just fucking haymakers Uso. 
Oh yeah, grit your teeth. It's so Aww. messed up. I was like, why? What are you telling him to stand up and grit your teeth for? And then like they, it's the most dramatic shit, and the episode ends immediately. I'm like, what is this? Oh, he's eleven. <laughs> it's so awesome. Victory <laughs> rules. <laughs> what a wild show. I'm gonna go revive the age old tradition of driving. All right, sure, <laughs> sure, chief. Ah, <laughs> uh, all right. <laughs> Is 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 motorcycle biking? Is that the war on cars? Yeah, is, is the Zanskare? Well, the, yeah, the war on cars is blowing the motorcycles up. Uh, hopefully, <laughs> as soon as possible. Um, yeah, I, mean, I guess getting back to this, I, I think where where I am on this is that because of how this is structured, like there's a really weird thing here. Uh, you know, and I'm jumping ahead a little bit in the summary, but like we don't get all of this scene at once. Like we, we sort of like get a break. We go to the beach and then we come back and then Steven will, will, you know, we'll summarize all this shortly. But because of that, it really feels it to me watching this the second time through, it really centers Noriko's perspective. And I just, I just don't care as much about the interiority of Kazumi and Ota because it doesn't seem like that's what it's about. It's, it, it, it is more about, what Noriko is witnessing and reflecting upon than it is actually about these two characters. That's a really good point, especially with how, you know, uh, interesting, strange, but compelling the way these scenes are constructed, uh, you know, with it being a half semi flashback at one point and all that. But uh, uh, what you said is totally right because, you know, later on when they're, they're gearing up for the battle and such and Noriko is just being, like so forcibly happy, cheery, and so trying very hard to to work with what she's got, how she's pieced this information together. So I think your I think your read is totally a hundred percent accurate here. That is a great point, PMC. And another thing, I guess to argue with myself here, is Ota is definitely the most parodic character in Gunbuster. So scenes like this, while I do run counter to them a bit. Um, don't like lastingly sting. Uh, I don't really, I kind of, it's like a shrug and I just move on. Yeah. He never really graduates from being imported from aim for the ace. Yeah. Despite the fact that he does obviously have style. And I, I do quote unquote, like his screen presence in the show. He's got a lot of really good expressions in this episode. You, you oh, could tell yeah. he was like a, a favorite of the uh, of the animators. He has a great scene later, which we'll get to. After Amino's departure, o- o- departure, Ota collapses after coughing up blood. Noriko tries to call for help, but is prevented by Ota, who puts his finger on the phone's receiver. Uh, sidebar here. Yes, they still have landlines in 2032. Crud stuff. For our younger audience, a receiver on a phone is... Yeah. Oh my god, there are going to be children who watch this and are like, what does that do? Like... Wh- <laughs> I was uh, I teach a summer course on creative writing. And we were talking about this the other day, actually, because um, we talk about... So day two, I, we, I focus on the literary elements of atmosphere and mood, and we look at this through the lens of the horror genre. And I show them a clip of PT. I show them only, like the very beginning of PT went just the hallway. Um, and then I talk about like scary things and I bring up like, imagine if I snapped my fingers and transported you to an abandoned house in upstate New York. It's a Friday night. Um, sun is setting. It's raining outside. 
and uh, a landline rings. There's something very chilling about being in an empty house and a landline rings. Um, and then I upped the stakes a little bit more and said, well, you answer the phone and there's like a voice on the other end and you just hear breathing and you say, hello, can I help you? And then they hang up and you walk away and the phone rings again, just like that mental experiment, like playing around with that idea in your head. It's a little chilling. Uh, talking about crafting uh, intimidating and anxiety producing atmospheres. But then I thought to myself, I had to ask them, do you know what a landline is? Tragic. There was a phone in the classroom. So I pointed to that and I went, what's that? Ah, yeah, I don't that want to be like a sense. YouTuber and go, what's this technology? Kids <laughs> react to phones. Yeah. There's yeah. this bit um, when she's calling Kimiko where you see she's written down uh, Kimiko's number and Jung's number on a notepad, um, like physically written it down. And now it's like, if you ask me to name my best friend's actual phone number, like actual numerical phone number gun to my head, I could not do it. I think I could only list my cell phone number. I definitely don't have my wife's phone mem- phone number memorized, a point she brings up often, and my parents' landline, which I actually don't think they have anymore, but I still remember the phone number. Oh, yeah. No, I, I definitely know a... I me- ha- still have memorized a landline number that is not connected anymore, 100%. Yeah, same. I remember our old uh, landline, and I remember, um, like my best friend like three houses ago when we were kids is landline i know i know how to call the landline at the shore house wait a second that doesn't exist anymore speaking of the passage of time mm-hmm. you know what i was gonna say this scene with uh with oda uh the first time i was watching it i i just sort of like when he when he you know the the shock of all the the blood coming out of him collapsing and i was like Moulin Rouge, she's got space tuberculosis. I don't know if anyone else has that reaction, but that was definitely on my mind. Like, all right, well, now I'm going to cast, uh, I'm going to get Ewan McGregor in here to be my uh, my coach to live action. Clutch. Actually, to, to go back to Discotech's uh, amazing work on the subs for a second, um, I forget exactly where it shows up, but there's an earlier sign somewhere. Uh, it might be this episode, it might be episode four. And it's on the screen for like a few seconds. And all it says is like, Space sick, radiation sickness uh, prevention oh, awareness yes. week, yes, or something. Mm. And I don't think that had ever been sub before until this new release, and that vaguely sets up the fact that this is a thing that exists. People can get space radiation sickness. I want to say that was like on like maybe on like on the the fake beach that they're sunning on or something. I don't. I oh, it could be. Yeah, I I feel like Ewing was around that sign. So maybe you're right about that. Which, which is like, it's perfect to put it there because they're sunning themselves. So it's like <laughs> yeah. extra good. Shout outs to her little watermelon bikini bathing suit <laughs> thing. <laughs> Very cute. Cut to the next day in which we seg to the obligatory beach scene as Noriko and Yoon lounge adjacent to the crystal, crystal clear waters of the Pacific. Acknowledging that coach isn't a good fit for her, Yoon gets existential. Meeting someone is just the start of saying goodbye. She stresses that she needs to live her life to the fullest for herself. Time waits for no one, she pointedly says. We've already sung the praises of the dub a little bit here. This delivery by by the uh, the, the Noriko actress uh, kind is incredible when she just says, Sh- shut up. <laughs> It's so good. It's so good. Astounding. (laughs) Just shut up. 
Actually, I meant to say earlier um, on the dub, uh, Lisa Ortiz knocking it out of the park oh, as both incredible. Uh, young uh, Kimiko and adult Kimiko. Like that is a night and day performance. Uh, I can't remember uh, for sure, but I think in the Japanese they got two different actresses. Um, oh, but, interesting! But Lisa Ortiz as both and just nailing it one million percent. Like nailing one million percent, the like you're the mom in the apocalypse vibes in your twenties. Like that's like such a heavy weight. And like, you would sound like that in that situation. And she kills it. The, the, the sheer, like almost parodic levels of, um, making Kimiko the adult mom in comparison to Noriko being the, the, the younger kind of immature, uh, 17 year old, like the gap between there is so intense. And, and Ortiz plays it perfectly. Yeah, and I feel like Mikimoto's character designs too, especially for Kim- adult Kimiko, really emphasize just the world weariness and shit going down in the decades since she's last talked to Noriko. She feels aged. I do love how much of a shorthand it is to just put lipstick on the anime girl and call it a day. <laughs> There's more going on there, of course, because um, you know there are a lot of signifiers to show that she's older and of course Kazumi also always wears lipstick but I just do gotta shout that out it's it's so easy and it, honestly for me it's always a slam dunk good job appreciate yeah. it agreed later that day in the bath Noriko processes Jung's comments she flashes back to her earlier conversation with Ota humanity is currently staring down its greatest threat ever he tells her The aliens are on their way to Earth right now. There have never been so many of them in one place. We have exactly one chance at surviving an attack of this size. You and Amino must take the gunbuster! Coach, I... Takuya, you must. If you really want to protect your friends, then you have to fight. No matter what, you can't back down, right? Say it out loud. Yes. You and Amino are barely more than a flame smolders on your own. But together, you're an inferno. Ding, 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 ding. Alex, I'll take themes of Gunbuster for 500. I love, I, I'm not, this isn't a criticism. I fucking love when they just tell me the theme of the show. Yeah, it's, it's a big moment. It really comes through here. It's, a, and it's weird too, because I mentioned this is a part of that sequence where you're constantly like jumping from thing to thing. And like one moment, you're thinking about stuff in the bathtub and then next moment you're back to that scene you were at a second ago and now coach is giving you like the the thesis statement this is one of the reasons why the superficial trappings of nationalism like present as an undercurrent in the show really don't bother me because really at its core gunbuster is thematically about people coming together in order to help each other and better humanity um textually it's as there even though there is the presence of imperial japan and what imperial japan has done continues to do as a as a source of power it's about different people from the soviet union from america from japan coming together and stopping this existential threat that threatens humanity and i'm always down for that uh, again i think the uh, the dub does some good work here um i think it uh, accentuates that by making sure almost uh, as if it were attempting to emulate older dubs of the era, but kind of arbitrarily assigning uh, different accents to people to make it feel more multinatural. Yeah. Uh, um, national, I mean. Um, 
there's there's like a, a countdown timer guy who has like a noticeable Australian accent to him, and that's just such a minor thing, but it, it adds it, it adds a lot of flavor. I appreciate it. They yeah, they can you, go find you, the guy who said turn a Gundam and get him to do something. <laughs> I was, I was Finally thinking, solve I was, the mystery of what nationality that man is. <laughs> what is that accent, sir? British, Czech, Japanese, who knows? <laughs> Turn a Gundam. (laughs) Now you go for it, man. Love it. If we get Tomino... Oh, Emily, by the way, another uh, smashing uh, accent there, my friend. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, I'm I'm flashing back to your Roger Smith impression. (laughs) Fun times. If we get Tomino in a room at an American con, we gotta, we got to ask him this question. I will, I will go, if, if Tomino does one more con in america i will do my best to attend that con ideally it's on the east coast but if it's like west coast i will at least think about making the trip over making the pilgrimage you know it's gonna be the classic tell me now i don't remember <laughs> end of conversation yeah floor bound blood dripping from his mouth Oda orders Noriko not to tell Amino about his deteriorating medical condition. She's not the kind of girl who can fight if this is one in her mind. Promise me, Takuya, protect Amino for me. Gunbuster! <laughs> yeah, we're, we're all busting out our impressions here. I mean, now we get the Ano shit. Meanwhile, in Tokyo, the capital of Imperial Japan, the Earth Defense Agency convenes to discuss emergency countermeasures to combat the alien attack. Just that sentence gets me excited. Imperial trappings aside, future Tokyo looks fucking sick. Very cyberpunk. I know the flashy aesthetic betrays societal rot, but I am a sucker for this sort of stuff. Do y'all have a favorite Neo Tokyo in anime or video games of the time? Uh, Snatcher, for sure, for me. That that is one that just hits uh, immensely. Maybe it's just about how much of a banger uh, One Night in Neo Kobe is, but Ooh, uh, that yeah, whole yeah. opening sequence, there's something about that that just speaks to me. Yeah, I'm trying to think of other ones. Uh, I mean, Snatcher is very strong. I always really like it when the the big city has like a real like fat blue undertone, like the blue for whatever reason is the primary mm. color. I think that's really appealing. Uh, I, it's not necessarily Tokyo, but I'm going to shout out the original Slave Zero, which has a bunch of stages which have that same kind of like aesthetic texture when it comes to the use of the blues and the tall buildings. Um, that's always just a, just a winner for me. If we're going to veer away from Tokyo, um, what some of these establishing shots kind of reminded me of, of all things, was, um, I guess, the, the tubes in them specifically made me think of New New York and Futurama. I was just about to say that, and that's topical because Futurama has been resurrected for like the fourth time. I think I think the first episode just hit Disney Plus or Hulu. One of the Hulu, two yeah. I uh, can't to- imagine the audience for that who have sat through three additional Futurama revivals. Last time was during the DVD boom because I picked up at least two of the DVDs. Uh, Beast with the Backs. I can't remember the exact title. Beast and, with a Billion Backs, I think. Yeah. And no, there, there's like two Bender's seasons game. after those, too. Yeah, I, I, I knew of the Comedy Central seasons, but I was not committed enough to wade into those waters. 
I've watched a few of them, and it was incredibly obvious that there was some sort of studio mandate that they had to make more topical jokes. Oh, really? There is a weird. There is a bit where they they wait in line for an iPhone, like a a, a phone that you access via Uh. your eye. And there was a bit where um, Leela gets like a mutant boil on her face, and it's named Susan Boyle. Remember Susan Boyle? Do I? She was a um, oh one of those American Idol or oh, Everybody's Got Talent kind right. of singers. She looked kind of normal and homely, but she yeah. had a beautiful singing voice. Right, so there right. was a famous gap of that. Anyway, Leela has a singing Boyle on her face named Susan Boyle, who's voiced by Craig Ferguson for some reason. Oh, that's a name I haven't heard in a long time. <laughs> yeah, and I like Craig Ferguson. Those Comedy Central seasons were, uh, from my mind, uh, ungood. Look, if they want to bring something back for Futurama, they should uh, just port the Sixth Generation game to modern platforms. <laughs> you going to say that. <laughs> I mean, I think it's um, a compilation of its cutscenes and gameplay is available as a DVD bonus oh somewhere in one of the seasons. <laughs> I think it's labeled as the lost episode oh, or boy. something. Oh, wow. Still cheaper to buy than the game. That PS2 game is pricey. Yeah. yeah. Really? Oh, yeah, yeah. That's a hard one to get. That's definitely an expensive one. Of all things, wow. It's probably worth half a Steel Battalion. It's probably like <laughs> 250 200 That is buck wild to me. The Xbox version is probably... I don't know. I wonder if Xbox is cheaper or more expensive for that one. Because it's PS2 like- and Xbox. I feel for the most part, Xbox versions are slightly less expensive yeah, than the just PS2 because that's counterparts. The vibe I get, yeah. People care about it's like one of those, it's like mecha games. People just care about them less, so they're still less expensive. Usually, the Japanese Xbox games are more expensive. The, yeah, exactly. I was going to say Xbox does not have the Japan factor. It's just the weeb's buying the stuff. That's why. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tac two is not going <laughs> to price. I was, high. you know, I was just talking about Tac two today with someone. I, I, <laughs> I'm completely fucking serious. I'm I'm gonna go screenshot it right now, just because I know you're. I can feel you're doubting me, and I just want no, you to I, know. I believe you. That's a very <laughs> PMC ass thing to say. I I dislike this this deviation into the power of Juju. I am not here for it. Okay, so it is Juju. I was about to say yeah, Juju, yeah. but I felt like weird saying it. Like mm, that word. It doesn't, doesn't have a great mouthfeel, well. does it? No. All right, as PMC is conjuring up that screenshot, I'm going to continue with my summary. I'll laugh accordingly when he posts it. The chief of staff asks about the status of the Eltrium. Standing, the head of shipbuilding informs him that they're currently at 16% outfitted. The day after tomorrow, PMC just posted it, by the way. I'm, I'm laughing. I made a joke. I said I would do a double tack. What time What time were you talking about tack to? What? Midnight. Yesterday? Uh, yeah. <laughs> 12.06 a.m. I mean, it says it right there in the screenshot. Can you put this in the, like, blur out the parts you bl- want to blur out, but you should post this in the show notes. All right. Fair enough. All right. So back to the Air end of the your world. sins. <laughs> the day after tomorrow, 1,500 new support members will. He gets cut off by the chief of Naval R&D, who declares that it can't go out there. An unfitted ship would be a sitting duck. So the second time I have to mention this, but those are Stephen Hero's words, not the Chief of Naval R&D's words. However, they don't have time for bickering. The enemy is at humanity's doorstep. 
suddenly, Ota barges into the meeting room, overpowering the security guards who are trying and failing to hold him back. Moments later, he presents his plan to his gridlocked audience. Send the decommissioned Excelion into the center of the enemy forces, unmanned. Then we opened its Kingston valves. From there, its degeneracy reactor goes into overload. Two minutes and 40 seconds later, the void effect makes the reactor into an artificial black hole. Jupiter 2 and the majority of the enemy get sucked in. The buster machines can get in there. End quote. I love so this to, scene. Oh, I, love I love it so much. The absurdity of how it must feel to be one of those uh, like army guys who probably doesn't know who Ota is besides a guy, and just seeing this guy in his hospital gown barge in, screaming his lungs out, going, "Wait, I have a plan!" And it's just what an insane thing to see. It must feel so like we're trying to discuss the fate of humanity, and here comes this fucking guy. <laughs> He does have really this fucking guy energy about him, especially with the aviators, though he's not wearing the aviators in the scene. He's coughing blood. He's got the eye scar. Again, just wearing the hospital gown. Like, wait, no, I have to be admitted to this high-profile high meeting. I've got a plan. Like, no, you don't. Sit down. The extent to which he is, like, just some, like, dipshit coach from a high school versus, like, an <laughs> yeah. important figure in the government, it's like fluctuation it's like some kind of wave spectrum where every time you look at him it collapses the equation of his importance in a different way that's a great way to put it pmc he does have dipshit high school coach vibes about him oh also note because this show has referenced real astronomy things i was curious if there was a real jupiter 2 and then i was slammed in the face with what jupiter 2 is a reference to and i was very upset about it Jupiter 2 is the name of the spaceship in Lost in Space. That I mean, like everyone keeps out. telling us, everything's a reference. Yeah, yeah to parse uh, the tech... Oh, go on, Emily. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, to parse the techno babble, Oda's plan is to overload the reactors of an unpiloted Excelion to create a black hole. The black hole will suck in all the aliens. It's... Even though my notes might say the contrary to this uh, because i could i lacked a, a noun to use here other than solar system but it's worth pointing out that the aliens haven't entered our immediate solar system i wanted to use the noun inner solar system but that is a thing that's the solar system that's from the sun to the asteroid uh field, the asteroid belt and everything further out is the outer solar system i feel like they are in our solar system just way the fuck out there um <laughs> that's why Jupiter 2 is the sacrificial lamb and not our Jupiter, because if they did this with our Jupiter, humanity would be fucked. This would be a suicide mission. And, and Noriko and Amino need to be there, because they have to protect the Excelion before it self-destructs. Otherwise, theoretically, the aliens will just destroy the Excelion before it gets to the middle. Or they wouldn't kill enough of the aliens, because it wouldn't be in the middle. True. Oh, speaking of the aliens, um, I don't think anyone of uh, the prior guests have uh, brought this factoid up. Uh, they do technically, at least uh, in one source, uh, Super Robot Wars anyway, have a, a name that they are referred to specifically. Um, the And th th this is an English acronym that they use. The STMC, and it is short for Space Terrible Monster Crowd. Oh, I think... 
this is this was buried in my mind somewhere. I'm glad you brought this up, Emily. But someone told me this at one point in my life. It does sound like it vaguely, vaguely rings a bell, but also good information to bring up regardless. I think it, it was last used in um, maybe Super Robot Wars Alpha 3 because I, the, the most recent uh, two games that had Gunbuster in it, I don't think they refer to them as the STMC anymore, which is such a shame. What a silly acronym. It's so appropriate, though. Number one, because it's kind of like a very parodic name. Number two, Anno loves acronyms, so it fits. Shoutouts to Shocker getting its, like, force crazy oh, silly acronym and that. That's the good stuff. The naval commander tells Ota that his plan is sheer insanity. Banging his fist on the table, Ota exclaims, there are millions of them! Go ahead and tell me what else we can possibly do with exactly one completed gunbuster! What do you propose we do? Man, Bradley Gareth is acting his fucking heart out here. And I want to be clear, uh, Norio Wakamoto's performance is unmatched. He does a phenomenal job as Oda. Um, but, but Bradley Gareth, as I listened to it most recently, kind of like crawled into my mind here. He's doing a really uh, good job expressing... Ota's anger like both both put you in the headspace both performances put you, you in the headspace of a man who has experienced so much loss the the space monsters uh insert emily's acronym that i've already forgotten they have <laughs> taken so much from ota they've taken his friends and mentor you got admiral takia and presumably some of his comrades on who died in the luxion presumably he was friendly with some of them they've taken his health because i feel like you could blame space radiation sickness on the aliens, whether directly or indirectly. And and hell, they've even taken time away from this dude because the threat of annihilation has put Ota in a position where he has to routinely experience time dilation, which means there's no present for him. Like, that's been snatched away too. So, like, I get it. Dude is justifiably pissed. Uh, the, the anger Gareth taps into here reminds me of Patrick Stewart's famous speech from First Contact. Like, you have the Borg in First Contact. They've run the table up until this point in the film. They've called all the shots. They pushed humanity back. And like this is Ota striking back. This is him saying the line will be drawn here and no further. The dub does an incredible job uh, in general of just bringing the correct amount of energy to things. And uh, his performance, uh, pretty great. Pretty, pretty big highlight of the whole thing. And uh, he, he's a younger actor, too. I want to say he's, he's late 20s or something. So, I mean, that's that's a, quite a powerful uh, example of a, a good acting role. Good good thing to have on your CV there for future casting choices. Yeah, it's been fun. Com- uh, I've already mentioned this in previous episodes, but, you know, right now I'm experiencing him both as coach and also as uh, Ghoul Jeturk in The Witch from Mercury. And I think that dub is now finished. Not that I've I've finished up watching the dub episodes with my partner, but I will be doing that at some point. <laughs> and I'm kind of glad he gets these moments with Coach because having seen the series to its end uh, in Japanese, I um there, I know there's not much for for Bradley to do in uh, with Ghoul and the remaining Witch Mercury episodes. I feel like so, um you know I'm 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 glad to see him getting it here. I feel like not enough people know that connection. We gotta, we gotta spread the <laughs> word. And I gotta watch that dub. It's on my things to do list before we do our overview yeah. episodes. I, yeah. I've got like two months to do it, but that's my plan. 
it's fun. They do they do a good job. I'm sad the cast didn't get to do those uh, last two science lessons made for the Blu-ray because uh, I Coach has a really memorable moment in one of them, and that yeah. would have been fun to hear. I suppose it's a rights issue. I don't know what the point of contention would be because we also lost one of the mini films. It was on the previous DVD release. I mentioned this in their history episode, but there's a little short about the construction of the Sizzler. The yeah, what's strange about six. those too is that the um the the two specials that we got um they have I don't know two random girls commenting on everything, and those girls are also like commenting at the end of the Sizzler short, so there's like consistent characters, uh, so to speak. I mean, for lack of a better term, they're not really they don't have any dimensionality, but it feels it just feels like they hacked off one of those episodes, even though they feel like they are a like a set. I don't feel. I feel like there would be a weird thing to have a distinction between those two and then the Sizzler short. I don't yeah. know. It's weird. The Sizzler shirt is on YouTube, though. I looked the other day. So if you're curious, check it out. That was my Wawa reference from earlier. I don't know if I actually spoke that into the mic. Sizzly Sizzler. That was where I was going with that. An hour <laughs> later. Called up for the mission, Noriko and Amino travel aboard the Ultra Hikari Express. A high-speed train bound for Tokyo. All right. So, like, the, the good leftist that I am, I love trains. I know PMC agrees. Emily, are you a train fan? Uh, you know, uh, I think trains are pretty cool. Uh, I wish I could remember the little song Selfie sings about trains in FF8, because I remember it being pretty dipshit and fun. But <sighs> that That is true. That's a, that's a good pull. This train's cool, too. The train in Gunbuster. Uh, reminds me of the trains in Final Fantasy XIII zipping through those tubes. A similar aesthetic. Speaking of thirteen, Noclip just posted a 1080p version of the E3 2006 trailer. Uh, the trailer is fucking dope as shit, and I've been thinking about thirteen all week. I'm currently playing 16, and I'm not quite as down on it as some people are online. I'm, I'm like, lukewarm on it. Um, but because I am lukewarm on this pretty mid-ass Final Fantasy game, I'm really, I've been thinking about this all summer, I'm really compelled to return and reappraise, return to and to reappraise 13. I think I am poised to become a 13 guy if I get around to playing the trilogy. That that does seem to be a, a subgenre of guy that has started to pop up <laughs> over the years. It might be me. I know I, Lightning Return is dope, and the art in Thirteen is stellar. Same with the soundtrack, and I miss turn-based Final Fantasy battle systems. I need to play Thirteen at some point. It's the one mainline FF I need to play, and I, I'm still going to keep saying that even though Sixteen has come out because I don't think I have any need to play Sixteen anytime soon. <laughs> I don't want to see you stream 16. No, I think it would be miserable for everyone involved. The best parts of 16, you'll there'll be a lot of friction between you and the game, despite the fact that I feel like it's more up your alley than 7 Remakes Battle System is. And I I have to say, I do love 7's battle, Remakes Battle System. Look, I want to I plant my flag firm and clear. I liked playing 15 better than 7 Remake, just so we understand. Wow, that's contentious. Yeah, I've fallen. I mean, I like the boys, and I like the first ten hours of fifteen, but I've fallen off the rest of the game. I like fifteen a lot. Good but man, that combat is underwater. I don't see how you could like that. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, I have other issues with the Seven game. Seven remake though. Like nothing means anything. It means everything. It's so grounded. It's so tactical. It's so Ugh. good. 
it's it's silky smooth. I feel I, I feel like I'm constantly checking my the time. I'm like, oh, am I still here? Is this still going on? Like, am I? It, do I do anything now? Is this is this my time? I think you'll like Thirteen though, based on the yeah, comments you've spoken. I've, I've watched bits of Thirteen. It seems like a pretty cool game. And that soundtrack, mm-hmm. yeah, great piano soundtrack. Oh yeah. Does Thirteen Two have a piano soundtrack? officially uh i don't think there's a piano collections for 13 2 even though there was a piano collections for 10 2 and that does rip uh, oh we're gonna yeah. talk about that sooner rather than yeah. later PMC. oh it's true yeah you didn't bring much luggage noriko says neither did you amino replies optimistic noriko says they won't be gone long while that may be true amino points out that six months will pass for earth on the next leg of their trip, as they ascend on the space base escalator, Noriko brings up Ota's health, but is cut off by Amino. I know. But now is not the time to fret over one man. There are many more, billions more, that we must put first instead, she asserts. Now, I know I already put forth my lens for viewing this, which is to say that it's really Noriko-centric, and that the coach and Kazumi stuff is mostly, you know, for Noriko to ruminate upon. But this sequence is probably, I think, Kazumi's most effective sequence where at first she is putting forth the, you know, basically what Coach would say almost, that we got to put all these other people ahead and and do the thing and not worry about, you know, our our own personal situation. Uh, And then it kind of like falls away, deteriorates, you know, at the launch pad as they're accelerating, you know, it seeing Cosme get ground down by it coming at her, you know, comes, comes at you pretty fast. It, it's effective. It does, it does work. I think it's the, the sort of the most we get to see into Cosme's mental state. I forgot. I should be referring to Amino as Cosme to keep the, it symmetrical with calling Noriko Noriko. I just feel like Amino rolls off the tongue. And I'm always thinking of coach saying uh, Cosme's name. Some people get referred to by their family name. That's just true. You know? Yeah. What shows I haven't podcasted in a few weeks because I made that effort to do that for episode one. But now you just reminded me, even though you've been saying Cosby's name the whole podcast episode. I mean, look, it, it, it's thematic, right? It fits because Noriko's big moment in this is finally referring to her by Kazumi instead of Onesama. So there you go. It was intentional, you know, folks. There, there's, there's your excuse. At the Fuji Space Force Base, engineers prepare the launch of the Buster machines. In her cockpit, Before blasting off, Noriko spots Coach, who, using crutches, has climbed to the top of a nearby roof to see them off. Ecstatic, Noriko tells Coach, sidebar, I've now referring to Ota as Coach, but I feel like he's giving off Coach vibes here. Noriko tells Coach that she bets they're going to get married. Angry at Noriko's naivete, Amino informs her that Coach's body is deteriorating from space radiation syndrome. That means he might not last six months. I may never see him again. This revelation hits Noriko like a bombshell. The Buster Machines, humanity's last best hope, take off. Watching from their apartment window, Kimiko tells Takami, My very best friend is piloting that so she can create a future for you. I'll tell you all about it when you're older. A lot of people, myself included, point to Christopher Nolan's uh, internet famous, world famous Christopher Nolan. Uh, Christopher Nolan's Interstellar as the big budget Hollywood take on Gunbuster. Hell, Kojima even made this observation on Twitter a few years ago. And I think that all tracks. 
Um, but I was watching this this time and it had a strange pull for me because I'm not a big MCU guy. But I feel like there's a lot of Gunbuster DNA unintentionally in Captain Marvel, especially when you compare Noriko's relationship with Kimiko and her daughter to Carol and Maria and her daughter in Captain Marvel. I know Kimiko isn't a single mother in Gunbuster. There is a father somewhere. Takumi mentions him, but she might as well be a single mother here. I feel like the vibes are similar. Um, Like Both relationships are very honest, feel very well actualized. They both deal with absence and sacrifice. And since I made the, the MCU reference, I should say I have not watched any MC, anything MCU-related since Endgame, but I will defend Captain Marvel. I think that movie holds up. That The getting back up montage still hits in my memory. This scene just hits so hard for me. There's just something about how much Kimiko really and truly values her friend despite the the time dilation difference in not having seen her for 10 years and this will continue in episode six but just you can tell she really you know not only appreciates noriko as a friend but really keys into like you know how much noriko is doing all of this for everyone how much she respects noriko for the uh, incredibly difficult position and job that she's been put on now in space, Noriko and Amino fly by the Excelion, peppered with holes as it's being escorted into position for the coming operation. Now ready, the Buster machines and the Excelion blast off. As they pass through the solar system, Noriko watches the clock. By the time they reach Saturn, three Earth days have already passed. Eventually, they arrive within viewing distance of Jupiter 2, near the enemy's front line. Amino estimates 250 million hostiles. Not wasting a moment, Noriko and Amino light them up as they make a beeline for the center of the swarm. Fucking love the periscope on the Buster machines. I'm sure PMC has already pointed this out, but I, I love, 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 love how Gunbuster commits to the nautical bit. This is a science fiction trope. Just watch any episode of Star Trek. But I feel like Gunbuster goes whole hog whole hog, excuse me, there, uh, in a great Twitter thread, Renato Rivera-Rusca, who we really have to get on the pod, pointed out that there are life preserver rings on the Excelion, which of course, it's parodic, it would do fuck all in space, but I love it. The, the best stuff. Maybe they're high viz. I don't know. It uh, it just speaks to the, the, the romanticism of the whole thing, you know? Leiji Matsumoto, Sea of Stars. I mean, what's what's cooler than this? Fucking nothing, dude. I love, in the novelization, there's longitude and latitude lines um, that you could read as they're traveling through space. Just the best shit imaginable. I'll, I'll bring this back, back up again uh, in that uh, when we covered the novels, but that, too, co- commits maybe even more to nautical terminology. I, I got one more don't think too hard about it bit. And I, I think this one is especially fun because I think this is a situation where by not thinking too hard about it, the the OVA is, is better off for it, which is to say, like, they never bother to explain why, like, technologically speaking, the gunbuster is effective when everything else is shit. <laughs> what? They never really. And, I, and that's fine. Like, I don't need because, you know, in some other shows, let's say let's bring up Gundam Wing. You know, the Gundams are made of Gundanium alloy. And <clears throat> it's my general Septim voice. Yeah. 
Everyone's busting out their impressions tonight. <laughs> and like they could they could do that. But they don't need to. You just you know it's the thing, it's the big thing. Look at it. Look at the guy. It's got the cross arm. It's it's fine. Don't worry about it. There's it's no on reason. the cover art. Yeah, <laughs> it's on. on the cover art. You know it's the thing. You know it does the work. We don't have to tell you that it, you know, it's powered by Metatron or it's made of Gundanium or anything. You know, it's it is what it is. And like I'm I'm okay with that because, you know, because even if they said it was something, you know, that would just be another layer of thinking too hard about we don't got to think about that shit at all i do like the logic that you got to jettison gundams into the sun because the sun can only melt gundanium yeah, alloy that's right that tracks, it just though. makes sense yeah just works flawless logic that whole show before they reach the center of the alien fleet their chronometers indicate that four months have passed on earth Sidebar again. I don't know if they're chronometers. It's it's like a nautical term. I'm just I like the feel of that word, so I'm using it here. It tells time. You know what I'm talking about. I feel like clocks isn't sufficient. It's the chronometers. It's measuring time dilation. It feels appropriately sci-fi. Yeah, it's per, it's per, I'm, being, I'm doing a parody. I'm it's doing a send up a pastiche here. <laughs> so coach has possibly died. Distraught, Amino refuses to complete the mission. She jettisons in reverse as two alien vessels smash into the hull of the Excelion. He's going to die, Amino laments. I'll make it back to Earth, and he won't be there. I never told him. What he meant to me, how much I loved him, that I wanted to be with him. Hostiles swarm the Excelion as Amino despairs. In response, Noriko gives a motivational speech. You and I, she says, building to a crescendo. Together, we have to win, no matter what. That did it. Noriko is a good order. I'm not doing her speech justice. There's more to the speech. I still want to type it out. But Amino's back in the fight. She's back in the game. With a determined look on her face, she announces that they'll have to combine in spectacular fashion as some blood-pumping Tanaka music plays. The two buster machines combine into the titular mecha, pinpointing the position of the still-intact Excelion, the pair clear a path with a super Inazuma kick. We didn't point this out in episode one, uh, which uh, introduces the Inazuma kick, but th- it has become a Gainax staple. Uh, it's in Ava, it's in Die Buster, it's in Fully Cooley. They all call back to it. it it's it's a it's rad. It is just it 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 lends itself so well to animation. It's such a cool dynamic pose that they always go for. I think other shows have referenced it too, because I did a Google search. I think it is in the most recent Gridman and a few other shows. That sounds right. Emily, how is Gridman? Have you seen it? I picked up the Blu-ray, and it's it's on my to-watch list. I might get to it before the end of the summer. I have seen Gridman. I, uh, I of course, being the sicko that I am, first watched all 39 episodes of the Gridman, the hyper-agent tokusatsu show first in preparation. That sounds like something Space Queen Emily would do. Uh, that show is really good. Uh, I had a fun time with that. Unfortunately, the official subtitles leave a bit to be desired. They ain't great. Um, but as far as the SSSS.Gridman goes, uh, very good program. Big fan. Uh, also, the, the sequel, Dinazenon, uh, very good as well. Uh, big recommends on both of those. I want them to hurry up and tell me if I get to see the uh, Gridman Universe film uh, for some sort of Fathom Events limited run or not, because I would pay good money for it. That So if that's announced, I will 
do my damnedest to watch it before the movie. I'll be uh, my butt will be in that seat. It, it does the most important thing a show could do, and it 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 gets your it gets your blood pumping when the robots or the or the heroes start doing combining motions. It 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 just it, it brings that inherent uh, pog quality to your face. It does good. I'm still pissed. I didn't see Shars Counterattack when Fathom released in theaters. Now that was a good time. That that was a great great viewing. Nothing hit like that beyond the time at the end credits. Do they show dubbed or subbed? Uh, subbed. Okay. The dub is quite good, though. If, if no one here has, has checked out the uh, Shara's Counterattack dub, uh, I would highly recommend it. It's pretty fun. Yeah, I, I had that red DVD back when I was growing up with, with not enough knowledge of new C- UC Gun to really tackle it at the time, but I Same. still dug the animation. It's uh, It's got... Um the consistent cast of the uh, 0079 dub yeah at least. it's got michael cops Shar and all that yeah the good Rest stuff some peace yep yep god what a good Shar he was i think pmc didn't Shar's counterattack come out of theaters when we were podcasting like the beginning of our podcasting journey maybe it's hard to, it's hard to think about times before 2020 <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to think about times before podcasting like back Back when I wasn't writing notes about stuff I was watching, I can't even imagine. Do I do I experience media if I'm not writing obnoxious notes about it? Who can say? If I'm not podcasting about, it, did I actually watch it? The Eternal Conundrum. Real. If I don't have a million screenshots in the folder, did I watch it? Yeah. If I if I didn't tweet it out, if I didn't exit out, did I? That's the last time I'll make that joke. I apologize for all my listeners. <laughs> Fuck Elon Musk. See, even exit out just makes me think of closing a window. What a terrible branding. Moron. Idiot. Moving on. So in character, though. So fucking predictable. Standing on the hull of the Exelion, the gunbuster unleashes a wave of laser energy, decimating incoming enemies. A future for all. A future for us. We'll make one with gunbuster, Amino defiantly exclaims. Using the Buster missiles and Buster shield, Noriko and Amino alternate between offensive and defensive strikes. Suddenly trapped, pinned between two space monsters, they use the double Buster collider to break free. And not a moment too soon, the Excellion has finally reached the center of the swarm. The one bit that killed me, and I'm sure it's a reference to something, is they're like, let's use the shield, and it's just the fucking cape. It's so yeah. cool. It's so cool. <laughs> it's- <laughs> What a good bit. That whole sequence I, I've probably watched a million times. That is, I mean, that's some of the coolest robot anime uh, animation you could ever ask for right there. The, the the song, the synchronicity with it all, the way the uh, the one beat links up as the two machines combine into each other with like the little claw mechanism. Oh, um, the claw, when you use claws to combine mechs. It's, oh, that's always <laughs> the best one. That's the most secure connection. Uh, I, I've mentioned this before other times, but I love the very brief shot of the uh, the Buster Tomahawk and the Buster Baseball Bat stored in the shoulder mm. of the mechs. Uh, you can see it for like two frames or something, and the scale on them is totally off, but they're there, and I appreciate that. Or we get like the x-ray of its skeleton, which raises a lot of questions. Yeah, so you can see oh, yeah. where the pilot uh, chairs are going to, so you see they're both right in the chest. The pilot is stored in the ribs. 
that that's very uh that's very classic uh 70s robot anime very grendizer-esque is the one that makes me think of the song is super cool oh yeah the the, what feast of the wolves (laughs) what a strange subtitle for a grendizer game i i will probably uh find out how that plays i don't know i i want it for the goodies the goodies seem neat in that limited edition pmc what about you is this gonna you're a, you're a mecha oh, am i gonna play you, the grandizer game i feel like you're legally obligated yeah i probably i don't know maybe i'll, I'll just yell at my cards give me a copy or something we'll see if that <laughs> works i'm like very pleased uh, many mecha several mech releases this year i've now just gotten copies of without <laughs> having to buy them i don't think i don't think bandai namco is going to talk to me though which is upsets me bandai namco talk to me you you invited a bunch of idiot youtubers to play the game and you didn't talk to me the real guy um come on i know i feel like i feel like someone knows you exist someone knows in the bamco u.s offices at least maybe not from so well i don't know i mean you play their game at gdq that's what i'm saying armored core is that gdq this year right after you announced it We'll see. As planned, the reactors overload, creating an artificially induced black hole. The space monsters get sucked in. Back on Earth, during a Space Force meeting, an official estimates that 99.89% of the enemy forces have been wiped out. The shockwave is expected to reach us in six months' time. Processing this temporary victory, Toshiro acknowledges that they're safe. This time. Wait, a shockwave? What's the shockwave going to do? Is should we be talking about this shockwave? I, it's very concerning. I feel like if you're if you're going to make something that would like that would kill all like almost virtually all life in like an eighty astronomical unit uh, like radius, and then it's going to create a shockwave that will affect neighboring solar systems. I don't know. That's probably a big shockwave. I'm sure Australia yeah. will be fine. Was there any sentient life on Jupiter 2? That's all I want. Is Jupiter 2 a gas planet? I assume yes, because it's Jupiter 2. Probably. That's probably why they called it Jupiter 2. I mean, they, they called it Jupiter 2 because it's a lost in space reference, but in the in the fiction, it's, you know. <laughs> Is it a gaseous giant in lost in space? No, These are the questions that I need ship. answering. It's just a spaceship. That's right. Sorry. Yeah. My brain fizzled. No, that's fine. That's fine. All right. I, look, I mean, you know... I don't know. There's there's a joke, Stephen. There's a joke somewhere in here about a, a black hole, like forming a black hole to like destroy your enemy, like just because of the density. Black holes are a great source of of density jokes and people who are infinitely dense. Maybe there's mm-hmm. like an X Musk joke somewhere in here that we can just self destruct Twitter at and the very create least, a we black could force hole. One. Yeah, I'll workshop it. Okay. Just just put put the new X logo on the side of the Excelion <laughs> and have it blow up. <laughs> That's not the bad. gimmick account at Buster Machine number three. <laughs> <laughs> it's getting better. To the tune of triumphant music, the Gunbuster returns to Japan. Alright, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna hold you off right there because I wanna get, I wanna talk about this before we talk about the emotionally important finale of the episode, yeah. which is to say why is there an exit door in the hand? Because it's cool. <laughs> yeah, it's cool. I, I specifically remember this is like the thing that most upset me the first time I watched this show, and I'm still upset about it. 
Well, I mean, I, thinking of it slightly logically, if there is a landing pad for the the machine weapons on the hand, I guess it would make sense for like easy access for those pilots to, to mm-hmm. leave via the hand. But there must be an easier way for the actual buster machine pilots, though, to, to exit other than moving to the hand. I feel and how like, much how much of the cockpit moves to the hand because right. if they get transported how, to the chest from whatever the other area they were combined from inside the gunbuster now? Oh man! Oh, now we're talking. Yeah. All right, Steven, I got I got a I got a meme for you. It's a Star Wars prequel meme. Oh hell yeah! Have have the image of the two of them stepping out of the hand, and then you get the Trade Federation minister who says, "This is really getting out of hand." Now there are two of them. Ooh! <laughs> Write that down. That, that's good. That's good. <laughs> That's good. PMC, we got to tweet that out. All right. All right. Make it happen. All right. So they're returning to Japan, Hakone to be precise. There at the field hospital, Amino reunites with Coach, who's alive. She professes her love for him to him. Meanwhile, outside the hospital, holding Smith's headband alone in front of the gunbuster, Noriko tells Smith that she hopes she made him and her dad proud. And then you get that sweet, sweet title card. It's very good. The Gunbuster descending with arms crossed uh, to the hospital is also very good. I like that little parallax scrolling of Noriko in the grass and the Gunbuster in the background. That's very good. Yeah. Good vibes all around here. The calm before the storm. But yeah, um, this is the end. I feel like I end every episode by saying, but yeah, this is the end of the episode. But it is, in fact, the end of episode five of Gunbuster. And what a, what an episode! Uh, hit a lot of high points, a lot of emotional highs. Uh, you got Anno, like bureaucratic Anno at work. Good, good table scenes, good diplomats talking, great mecha action, killer Tanaka tunes. What more could you want? So there's a bit in the uh, Honmyo's uh, DVD release. Uh, there's a little booklet uh, that has some some text and stuff. And there's uh they they cover uh each episode, uh, or I guess each volume, you know, two per. And uh, I would like to read uh, what they have to say about episode five here. This is touching gunbuster overcomes space and time. Text by Ryusei Hikawa from the Aim for the Top Volume Three DVD. Hell yeah! Physically and psychologically, Noriko is still 17 years old, while Kimiko is someone who thinks about the future of her child. The gap Noriko feels here is just like the tingle an otaku feels in his heart when he reaches a certain age, reunites with old friends, and senses domesticity within them. And here we see the effect of what made Noriko a staunch otaku. Staking your life on what you believe or what you value means separating from and cutting off an ordinary and everyday life. The concluding two episodes of Gunbuster cut into that tingle an otaku holds deep inside. The fifth episode is livened by more Rip Van Winkle effects, blending the love story and robot action saga together. Kazumi loves Coach Ota, but he faces death from space radiation syndrome. Kazumi's sortie means a reduction in the time left that she can spend with him, and she despairs that she might not ever be able to see him again. Kazumi almost loses her fighting spirit, and Noriko, who overcame the death of Smith, calls Onesama by her real name for the first time and rallies her, now as an equal partner. The pair's hearts become as one, and Buster Machines 1 and 2 combine. The combined giant robot gun muster, 200 meters in height, proves its true value. The fierce battle scream of Noriko Hidaka, the voice of Noriko, the fervent special effects, and all the otaku elements also become one, 
charging the cells of otaku in a battle that brings forth a magnificent ecstasy. Well said, and well read. Tingle is an interesting word choice. Yeah, I like that a lot. Sensing sensing domesticity in someone else is an interesting way to phrase it. I wonder if people (laughs) sense domesticity in me, now that I'm nearing 35 and have a house. That hits a lot of the talking points, though. That was a good summation. There's one more bit, uh, very short, and it says... The emotional impact of a superior work transcends space and time. If the heat of the soul and its sincerity is found in every piece, Gunbuster's last volume is indeed such a work. Mm. That's very true. That's going to really hit home in the last episode, too. I was, I was watching this episode, you know, just doing my second watch before the recording, and, um, and my wife walked by, and she was like, oh, is this the bit that was, that was supposed to be emotional and I didn't react to it? I'm like, no. That's the ending of the sixth episode. Damn it! <laughs> um, she says that she, she says now that there is a, a dub, she's willing to give it a try again. So perhaps, perhaps the excellent performances of the dub will will reach her. My wife is similarly unfazed by Gunbuster. What the ending though, dog? <laughs> she hasn't so seen good. the ending. She just walks in and all the fan service, and ah. she sees them in the outfits, and she's not <laughs> anime pilled. She's not desensitized to that. So it's like, what the fuck are you watching? <laughs> You sicko. You know, I've shown Gunbuster to my own mother, and she quite liked it. Hell yeah. She has good taste. She likes Big O. She likes Turn A Gundam. She's she's not much of an anime fan, but if I say something is good and that she might like it, she'll be willing to try it out. So, I wonder what my mother would say. The Can't best story ma- I have to come out of that is I once caught her with some like animewallpapers.com ass big O wallpaper in her desktop <laughs> background. I'm like, yes, we've made it. I've won. Mission accomplished. Was it the cast of characters or like a specific character? Was it Dorothy? It was, it was Dorothy and Roger, I think, in the cockpit together or something that's, that's with some really one. overdone text effects. And the, and she then, was really invested in the Dorothy-Roger relationship. It was awesome. God bless her. And then, and then Emily said, we have come to terms. <laughs> Very much so. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Emily, give me uh, give me some final Gunbuster thoughts here. What's your final word? Uh, I guess give us a little preview of episode six. Like, how hyped are you to potentially be joining us, not on the podcast, but watching along for episode six? A fantastic episode of television. That one is such an all-timer from the the word go, from the immediate uh, first thing you see on screen is white text on black background on those super titles. And um, just the, the uh, difficult uh, production factoid of having to do all of this in black and white. No, it was not a, a budget issue thing. It was intentional. It's not easier to do that. It is, in fact, much harder on the, on the team. Uh, it all hits really hard. There's a lot of great moments. Uh, there's a lot of really rich stuff just in the backgrounds of shots. Uh, you know, uh, going beyond the the simple uh, pointing and, and looking at things I recognize, like the, uh, the one of the Get a Robo uh, big crescendo moments uh, being referenced. It's just a really good piece of media. It's it hits every time if if you are not uh at least a little emotionally moved i don't know what to tell you sing it from the heavens mrs here if you're listening to this i know you're not you're on blast pmc you, you equally as pumped 
Yeah, I'm really excited to, you know, to revisit it with all the the additional literacy and uh, step through all the action bits and, I don't know, reach that that final bit. Like, I, you know, I know it's coming this time, but, like, I bet she's still going to get me. No matter how many times I watch it, it always gets me at least a little bit. Likewise. And I am very e- eagerly looking forward to episode six. I love all the episodes, but episode six is my favorite. It hits a lot of Steven Hero notes, which we'll talk about next week. All right, Emily, hit us with some plugs. What excellent work are you doing on the internet? Uh, you can find me on uh, Twitter, I guess. I, I refuse to call it X, um, but you can find me at Space Queen Emily. Uh, I, I do a lot of uh, uh, posting. I am quite addicted to online. Um, I do a lot of screenshot threads, etc. Um, I am slowly making my way through uh, uh, Kare Kano, his and her circumstances, the uh, Hideaki Anno uh, adaptation of the manga. Uh, enjoying that, fun anime. Uh, really, really fun uh, experimentation with the medium there. He, he has some cool ideas and you can trace a lot of his idiosyncrasies like the the ending credits have a little like handheld camera through live action shots of places and you can just trace that all the way to shin common writer even with his love of little handheld stuff um and you can find me uh i i occasionally do more podcasts you can i have uh, done a couple of guest spots on the no cartridge podcast like i said i did the uh Tenchi Muyo episode recently, and we will be visiting that again very soon. So uh, check that out if you want to hear me talk about uh, and and do more impressions of uh, some really stupid characters. Emily, who put out the His and Her Circumstances DVDs in the States? Was it ADV? Uh, I do believe it was uh, Right Stuff Knows of Me, at least uh, the most recent version anyway. Okay. Because they, they have some fun extras, which you've been posting online. Yeah, they really went the uh, the full full uh, whole hog on it because they they one of the interesting things about his and her circumstances is the next episode previews are all um, footage of the uh, voice actresses recording them in the Japanese version, and oh. they actually went and recreated that experience uh, for the English version. They filmed oh, the English voice yeah. actresses of those characters doing those reads. I forgot and, about uh, that. They similarly do a little bit of, of fun ad-libbing and such that, to, to try and match the energy. And uh, it's neat. Uh, I wouldn't have expected that. I, I wonder, is there a Blu-ray in Japan? That would be a fun get, uh, be it by Discotheque or anyone else. I do believe there is, but Karikano is one of those animes that you're just not ever going to get a better release of because of the um the unique ways in which they filmed it the unique ways in which they experimented with the medium mm-hmm. and i guess also due to the fact that the original manga author didn't really appreciate the anime production that much so the the blu-ray unfortunately does not look particularly good uh the jc staff worked on that in uh, conjunction with gainax right i do think so i feel like i saw their their logo in the opening somewhere yeah, I'm flashing back to previous history episodes when we talked about JC staff. I think that came up. Well, awesome, awesome. PMC, do you want to hit the good people with yeah. some plugs before I awkwardly ask you to give us a stinger note? All right, well, anticipate that. If you like what we do and you've enjoyed this episode of podcast, consider leaving us some feedback on your podcast platform of choice. We're an independent podcast, so we always appreciate 
recommendations, whether they be on platforms or uh, via whatever else is available, you know, whatever you want to call your favorite platform of choice, honestly, at this point, who knows? Giant Robot FM also has a Patreon if you want to support us directly. Uh, we have a few bonuses through the Patreon. We have a patron-exclusive Discord. We have a bonus podcast series where we had just finished covering The Witch for Mercury on a week-to-week basis. We'll be starting up in August, bi-monthly episodes of Turn A Gundam, a series that we call Moonrace Wireless. We also have another bonus podcast series called Simulator, where we give mecha video games the same treatment that we give mecha anime. If you want to check those out, we've, we've put a few of those in the main feed on Armored Core and Front Mission and Zardion. We also have uh, an episode that will be coming out soon to Simulator patrons on Assault Suits Valken, uh, which we're really, really excited to get down to. I just recently played a terrible version of that game. Do not play the PS2 version. Play the declassified release on Switch. Um, I have heard legend of the PS2 version. Holy crap. It was, I didn't realize all the ways that it could be bad. It was, um, it was something. Woo. Woo. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so don't do that. Play play the declassified release. That release is really good. I, I even even me, a, a Super Nintendo hater, had fun with that version of the game. Um, so you know, enjoy that. Enjoy if you want our podcast on it. That will be coming out hopefully within the next few weeks. Uh, I want to give credit to Dwarf S for our graphic design. Credit to Shkin for our art, and credit to Fretzel. Hashtag ban Fretzel. For the music that we use. Balls in your proverbial court. All I had to say is it's good to be back. My dog agrees. You heard him in the background. Welcome back with a backwards cane.